You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 487. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 2nd of September, 2021. In today's episode, an American Airlines jet hits runway lights during takeoff from Las Vegas. A student pilot disappears after an emergency landing on a French beach. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, the sensory pilot. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 487 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining me from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Perfect. (laughs) Hello, Jeff. Nice to be back on the show again. You know, this reminds me of the Muffets and those two old men that sat in the the little seat of the box to one side of the theater being grumpy. Yes, it does. What were their names? Can you remember? Uh, No, but I'm trying to find. I have a sound effect (laughs) that I can play, I believe, although I'll probably get nailed for that too. Here we go. That was terrible. Horrendous. I'm offended. I'm appalled. So, what are we going to do? What else? Email it to everybody we know. Good idea. There we go. Those guys, right? <laughs> Those guys, exactly. Yes. All right. Yeah, that's we need us. some female company is what we need. We do, and we are going to have some, hopefully, a little mm-hmm. bit later in our mm-hmm. show. But in the meantime, these two old men are going to <laughs> attempt to analyze and cover the latest in aviation news. Here we go. Stand by for news. All right, our first item, Biscarossa Beach. I have no idea how to pronounce that. Uh, A man missing after a French plane makes emergency landing. Now, is the plane French or are the people flying it French? Well, let's see. Uh, French rescue services have been searching a stretch off the southwest coast for a co-pilot 
who jumped into the sea when a light aircraft got into trouble on a training flight. The Piper light aircraft. Wait a minute, that's not a French airplane. That's an American airplane. The Piper light aircraft then made an emergency landing on the beach at Biscoros. How would you say that, Nick? I'm not French, but I would say Biscoros. Biscoros, uh, southwest of Bordeaux. Although the instructor, by the way, this was something that was happening actually when we were uh, doing our recording our last show. And so uh, we've decided to include it because it was uh, something that the live audience was discussing while we were attempting to do a show. Anyway, although the instructor wasn't hurt, attempts to find the co-pilot. Why do they keep calling them a co-pilot? The other, the student, right? The student pilot. Well, it pilot. does seem a bit odd. Um, we know what the, we know the guy jumped out of the airplane. Uh, now, I, I've seen Pipers. Uh, don't they have a door on the right? Yeah. Just a door on the right. Oh, wait, wait. No. I think they have doors on both sides, right? Oh, do they? I thought I they only so. had one door. Okay, people in the chat room are uh, the brain trust in the, and I'm using that term very loosely, our brain trust in our live <laughs> audience will let us know, um, probably in an unceremonious way, uh, whether or not a piper has doors on both the, or maybe it's just the right side. Is that what you were thinking, Nick? Well, I, I'm, I, yeah, I was thinking that because, you know, a long time ago, good Lord, I'm going back over 45 years when I did my light aircraft flying. Um, I think that was this thing. The Cessnas had doors on both sides and the piper only had one on the right. But okay. I might be wrong. They might have changed it since then, or this might have been a version with doors on both sides. I don't know. Okay. Well, the uh, Neil says the PA-28 door was on the right. Um, okay. So at, at for a minute there, I thought, they're just not listening to us talking at all. They're just in their own little world, and <laughs> well, they're not answering us. Usually they are, yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm sure we're going to get more information from the uh, peanut gallery. I mean, our so, very highly educated, so, uh, informative uh, live audience. That's why I was thinking co-pilot sounds better, because uh, if he was an instructor, he would normally be on the right, and the student pilot would oh. be on the left, in which case he wouldn't have oh. a door. Good point. Steffi says... Cher- mm. Steffi says Cherokees only have one door on the right. Okay. Well, then so I don't che- know what the sitch was. Uh, Steph has, um, has chipped in uh, with her commentary uh, via the uh, messaging uh, system that we have. And she says that Cherokees only have doors on the right. So good point. I guess maybe that uh, saying co-pilot is an accurate thing to do. Um. It was unclear what led to the plane getting into difficulties. Uh, the experienced pilot flying in the left seat, I suppose, uh, was praised for bringing the plane down safely on the beach in a restricted military area used for missile testing. So, uh, okay, wait a minute. Let me um, let me go actually to the uh, news article from, where is this from, Liz? Um, First one's from BBC. Oh, yeah. The second Ar- one's from... Yeah, the second one I'm looking at, arch- archide.com. Never heard of that. Anyway. Um, Some da- French thing, I think. A 32-year-old student pilot missing at sea since the emergency landing of a tourist plane on a beach in Biscarros on Tuesday and whose body was found Wednesday morning was taken from a delusional crisis in the cockpit and had mentioned his suicidal intentions, said the prosecution. His body rejected by the ocean was found on Wednesday morning. <laughs> I reject you! 
<laughs> Odd thing to say. I guess it's not a particularly good translation, yeah? Probably not. I like it. No, it's a good translation. I like it. Um, on Wednesday morning on the beach at the Landes Missiles Test Center. Uh, but why Why did he have to make an emergency landing on the beach? That's what I haven't figured out here. I guess because the guy jumped out. So then he... Okay, well, well the uh, guy jumps out. So what? I mean, the airplane's still flying, right? Well, the guy tried to make the aircraft crash initially. Yeah. Um, I, I suspect it was from an overkeen sense of duty uh, to see if he could um, get to the guy and save his life. Okay. If, if he was injured and not outright killed. But uh, okay, th- these things, when this sort of thing happens, though, and it, it has happened in the past that uh, somebody sees an aircraft crash on the beach or has an engine failure and tries to land on the beach and crashes, and they think, oh, I'll go down and see if I can help them in mm-hmm. case they're in real trouble. And then you end up with two crashed airplanes on the beach. Right. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't think the the instructor, to be fair, was thinking very clearly. And who who would be? It sounds mm-hmm. like a very dramatic occurrence on the well, flight deck. Especially after the student pilot made a U-turn, U-turn in an authoritarian manner. I mean, <laughs> that would scare the you-know-what out of me. Yeah. Um, the instructor then took control of the aircraft again, decided to make an emergency landing, despite the pilot's attempts to calm the situation. Oh, so he was already kind of deciding that he was going to make an emergency landing on the beach. And then yeah, uh, despite the, the pilot's attempts to calm the situation, the student indicated that he would jump out of the plane midair. And then the young man opened the cockpit, jumped into the water at an altitude of about 50 meters. The impact on the sea must have been particular, particularly violent explained the prosecutor. The instructor then landed in, a, in an emergency on the beach of Biscoros, unharmed, but in a state of shock. He needed a drink. You're right, Liz. Uh, she made that comment earlier. That's why the student, I mean, the uh, instructor pilot landed on the beach because he needed a drink right away. I don't think you get many bars in a missile uh, testing range, but uh, there you go. I thought a military base would have a bar. Yeah, military bases have bars, right? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, interesting story. Sad. Sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sad that the, uh, the this gentleman decided that he uh, needed to take his own life. And I guess he must have, in- you know, intended to take both of them Well, down. exactly. At least one of them came out alive. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it has occurred lots of times in the past when uh, With, someone wishing to commit suicide <laughs> has no regard someone for the other people around them. Uh, and, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is, Liz is that is beer just me. a bit strong? No, no, no. Liz is, Liz is making comments that are just cracking me up. So, so basically what you're saying, you have, you've encountered this quite often when people fly with you. And they want I've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of it happening. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Nick. Let's be serious. I think the 9% is kicking right. in. Uh, I mean, the people who are out of sorts, that they're... They, if they're mentally unstable enough to want to commit suicide, take their own life, they're not going to have much regard for people around them, whether it's their companion in the aircraft, the instructor, or or what. So, yeah. It is true, yes. Okay, well, there you have it. Anything else to say about this? It's sad, but uh, there are unstable people out there in this world. Yeah, it, a bit of a worry that they get, you know, halfway to becoming a pilot. Because yeah. 
uh, it's such a position of trust. That is true. Very true. All right. Well, let's talk about this dramatic scene at um, Essendon. Is that the way you pronounce that, Nick? Essendon Airport? I believe Airport? so. Yes. That's Near Melbourne. Oh, wait a minute. Is that? Oh, this is Australia. Australia. Yeah. Uh, down under um, near an uh, Essendon um, airport near B- Melbourne as a plane smashes into other aircraft. And this is from Jim. He says, Dear Captain Jeff and crew, thanks for the great show. A spot of warmth in a cold winter's lockdown. And of course, a good laugh. Here's a news story from my local station. No one was injured. So have a giggle on me. Okay, so then he gives us a link. Oh, he said, love to hear Liz, too. Great to peek behind the curtain of a good podcast and a very funny lady also. Clearly, Jim has been drinking when he he's delusional. Uh, typed this. Uh, <laughs> Hope yes. he's not a pilot. <laughs> Speaking of delusional pilots. Anyway, uh, let's see. Our news article from the... Uh, oh, I'm not sure what this is. 3aw.com.au. I think it's like a news station, like three. News station. Oh, Channel 3. Okay. A small plane has caused chaos while undergoing a routine engine test at Essendon Fields Airport. Michael alerted Tom Elliott to the situation on Wednesday afternoon. Michael (laughs) doesn't have a last name. Several aircraft, including the... Everybody knows Michael there in uh, Essendon Fields. Several aircraft, including the Channel 9 chopper, were damaged when the plane jumped Safety this wheel is charts. why Channel 3 That's are reporting it, because they think it's so hilarious that Channel 9 have broken their chopper. <laughs> You're right. They're their rival news. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, the plane jumped safety wheel chocks and broke through fencing. The pilot and engineer on board were both taken for a precautionary medical assessment and are uninjured. No other people were involved in the incident. Liz, we have some a uh, couple of yes, overlays sir. here to show on my way. the uh, aftermath. Getting there. Okay. And we're scrolling, uh, scrolling, control scrolling. room is saying yep. that oh, they're finding it right now. Here we go. Uh, there is the uh, incident accident aircraft, Victor Hotel Juliet Papa Quebec, I think. I can't tell if that's an O or a Q, but... Um, Anyway, there's one view, and then uh, the next one will show a little bit uh, different angle. Should be right next to it. There we go. Oh, he was just parking it in one of the, in the car park, by the looks of it. Right. So apparently, uh, that must be what stopped the uh, forward progress, and uh, I guess before that is where it hit several other airplanes. Uh, it, that's all it says on here. So I'm assuming that there was some kind of an engine run happening here or something i mean we don't know really yeah apparently it jumped the chocks several aircraft you the channel line chopper damaged when the aircraft jumped safety wheel chocks mm-hmm. and broke through fencing so yeah um you do wonder how um good the chocks were did have they chocked every wheel and um were the crew uh, exceeding the recommended um engine power level for just being chocked did they have the parking brake on as well uh you know i'm guessing probably no to all those things (laughs) i don't know but i mean uh i'm gonna say if you've got your hands on the throttle and you're doing a a test and you you're not just sort of parking the throttles up there and then holding a clipboard and making notes and things It'd be pretty quick, because once you feel it go over the chocks, you're going to know it's going to be a big bang as the airplane lumps over the chocks. 
what you know, it takes milliseconds to heave those throttles back. Um, they they yeah. seem to have gone quite a long way. <laughs> Absolutely, hitting, hitting all these airplanes and then plowing through fences and then parking it in the car park. Yeah, I'm not so. sure exactly where they started their little. Well, I'm assuming adventure. some way back because yeah. I can't see, even see an airplane in the picture. So they've got to right. hit a few aircraft and the helicopter. So I'm, I'm a little and go through a fence. <laughs> I'm a little confused because I'm looking uh, at what we have in Evernote, and then I decided to go to the actual web page because there's something here that's. Oh, wait a minute! It says listen. What happens? No, that's probably their on on air broadcast. Never mind. But right here it says press play below. To hear Michael's call to 3AW. And so I'm looking everywhere for something that says play, and it's not there. That would have been fun to hear the. Maybe they took call. it down or yeah. something. They must have taken yep. it down, yeah. Oh, well, that would have been fun. Well, at least we... it didn't go as badly as the uh, uh, brand new uh, Etihad's. Uh, was it Etihad? I think so. Oh, yeah, I think you're uh, right. A34600. That, mm, uh, yes, that was. That didn't somebody die got, in that one? Uh, yes, I think. Well, oh. very seriously injured. Some of the yeah. engineers on board with the aircraft, but I think it was more or less a write off. Uh, yeah, I do remember us talking about that. That was. Ugh. Yeah, this one's not quite so bad. All right. Well, thank you, Jim, from Down Under, for sending that in. All right, uh, continuing on, this is item uh, C, American Airbus A321 at Las Vegas on August 28th, 2021, this year, just a few days ago. Uh, it shaved runway edge lights on departure. Hmm. Do you uh, like a close shave? Uh no, otherwise you wouldn't oh. have a pretty great beard. Oh, that's right. You don't <laughs> shave at all. <laughs> I do, and I do I trim. enjoy. I uh, trim my beard as I, as I did this morning because well, I had a haircut. But. Yeah, it looks very nice. Uh, so maybe they they could have trimmed the runway edge lights as well. Anyway, this is from uh, Simon Radke's um, Aviation Herald website. Um, let's see, registration number November 582, Uniform Whiskey performing flight 2480 from Las Vegas to Charlotte. Ah, there's the problem. Uh, had Charlotte, taxied, yeah. yes, via it taxi. features in so many of these idiotic uh, accidents. <laughs> it yes. really does. It kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Uh, let's see, had taxied via run, uh, taxiway Bravo to the holding point Foxtrot at runway 8 left and lined up runway 8 left for departure. However... Uh, they aligned with the right-hand runway edge lights and commenced takeoff, continuing along the runway edge lights until becoming airborne at 23.30 local time. It's dark, although it's Vegas. I mean, darn, with all the lights from the Strip, which mm. is not that far away from the airport, you'd think that they'd be able to see more than not. Anyway, uh, then they corrected and drifted to the left edge of the runway. The aircraft continued to Charlotte for a safe landing. Hmm. I'm wondering if they knew that they had possibly. Well, I think they must have done eventually because if they've drifted from the right edge where they hit all the runway lights all across to the left edge, at some point you've got to go, geez, <laughs> where were we before? We've just right. seen the middle of the runway. Uh, yeah. I'm just wondering what the hell was going on. The FAA reported uh, aircraft on departure damaged 15 edge lights, Las Vegas NV. And they rated the damage unknown and the occurrence an incident. 
But apparently, American Airlines gave them enough money that they didn't do any further investigation. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yeah. I mean, you do you do wonder. Uh, I mean, that's all we have. You kind of expect this uh, from you know countries that where the standards of piloting and skills might not be what you and I are used to, Jeff. But mm-hmm. uh, I, this is a this is a major legacy airline. What the yeah. hell are they doing? <laughs> and the other thing that I, I make note of is the fact that we've had several of these very similar incidents uh, that we've covered on the show in the oh, last yeah. couple of months. And just like, why? what's going on? Why is everybody lining yeah. up with the yeah, side of the, the runway? Yeah. So yeah, they're they're flying on the edge, according to Liz, or taking off on the edge. So um, I'm going to say the weather was not a factor, and and in fact, uh, I was thinking about this earlier and thinking, I oh, wonder if it was foggy. Uh, but actually, when it's foggy and you can't see very far, you are really careful lining mm-hmm. up. You you have all the aids there to help you line up with the center line. You're, you're peering down at the runway, making sure you can see the numbers or the um, piano keys or the center line lo- uh, markings mm-hmm. if uh, you're coming on a. Uh, you're not right at the beginning of the runway. Uh, and perhaps if, because it was 10 statute miles and clear, beautiful night, I suspect, uh, they were just being a bit, you know, gung ho, relaxed about it. Oh, yeah, okay, let's go line up. They were probably yeah. mesmerized by all those fancy lights <laughs> flashing never, in the background. They might have been going, oh, God, doesn't uh, <laughs> Vegas look good tonight? Wish I was out there on the roulette wheel. Um, you, d- you don't know because there's mm-hmm. there's no details here reveal perhaps we'll find out well neil you can't you can't blame blame covid for everything he (laughs) says rusty after covid downtime yeah Yeah, i'm gonna say that um lining up on runways a pretty basic task you don't really get rusty at that well somebody named stephanie Plummer in our live audience wait a minute she's supposed to be here with us on the crew anyway she says I usually land on the side of the runway, but that's another story. Yeah, sometimes she doesn't even land on the runway. She lands in the grass. So, yeah, she doesn't have any room to talk at all. Uh, Yeah, so as you mentioned here, uh, Nick, uh, clear skies, uh, temperature 33. Ooh, that's 1130 at night, and the temperature is like 90-something degrees. Uh, But good visibility, 10 statute miles. I'm wondering if this runway, I didn't take the time to look it up. I'm wondering if uh, runway eight left doesn't have center line lights, or maybe the center line lights were notammed out of service or something. I don't know. Interesting. There you go. <laughs> Look at Pip. Pip's comment. Oh, Pip yeah. says in the UK we land on the left side of the runway. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we do. But and that, and we exactly do right. the right side. So I, now it's understandable that they took out all the right side edge lights. Yeah. Not all of them. Only fifteen. <laughs> yeah, they missed a few. Yeah. <laughs> Do better next time. Okay. Mm. Move on to this a final report, a serious incident involving an Embraer ERJ-195 uh, LR, which I guess is long range. Uh, it's an ERJ-190-200 LR. Oscar Echo Lima Whiskey Juliet on the 27th of October, 2017. And uh, let's see, an Austrian Airlines flight, uh, 266, departed Frankfurt International Airport, Germany, on a regular service to Salzburg, Austria, 
when it suffered a serious incident during a go-around at Salzburg. Before departure from Frankfurt, due to the weather conditions, both pilots discussed the wind shear procedures. That's good. It's always good to pre-brief stuff like that. You're, you're, you're identifying the threat, and you're talking about how you're going to mitigate that threat. The captain served as pilot flying on the flight, and uh, the co-pilot was pilot monitoring. During the flight, the cockpit crew had noticed thunderstorm, thunderstorm cells in the vicinity of Salzburg. Due to a tailwind component that was possibly too high for landing on runway 15, the cockpit crew also discussed a circling approach to runway 33, which, however, was not necessary. During the ILS approach to runway 15, heavy rain showers passed through, causing a high noise level in the cockpit. The pilots were not informed of any advanced uh, warning regarding wind shear during the approach, neither via ATIS nor via air traffic control. The intensity of the showers was very high, so the windshield wipers were set to max. I'll just pause for a moment here. Uh, Captain Nick can um, verify uh, what I'm about to say. is When you have these windshield wipers on, at least most of the airplanes I've flown that have windshield wipers, they are not very quiet. They make a racket. And then you have the, and the reason why you have them on is because you have all this heavy rain or a lot of rain or whatever on the windshield obscuring your view. And so that's making noise as well. And then you have the, you add to the, the uh, uh, cacophony of sound in your cockpit by turning on those wipers. So, I mean, you almost have to yell uh, if you don't have a hot mic system, um, I think the Airbus though they do have a hot mic system, right? You're always oh, you're... we we never used uh, okay an interphone system at all. Uh, oh, the Airbus. okay. Well, um, yeah, we uh, so if you have a if you don't use the uh, hot mic interphone system, uh, I I don't either. Uh, it's kind of hard to communicate with the other pilots sometimes when you have the wipers on max and you have a lot of rain coming down. Okay. So, getting back to the narrative from Aviation Herald. On approach, the speed selector switch was set to manual. The reference VREF was determined to be 125 knots. Due to the wind, it was increased by 5 knots to 130. The aircraft was controlled on an approach using the head-up guidance system and was stabilized. At approximately 2,400 feet MSL, which is approximately 1,000 feet uh, above ground level, AGL, the aircraft suddenly exploded experienced a tailwind component of 24 knots. At approximately 1535 UTC, the autopilot was switched off. One second later, uh, at an altitude of approximately 2,130 feet MSL and approximately 2.3 nautical miles from runway 15. <laughs> that is approximately. Approximately 2.3. I mean, 3, how many decimal places? 2.31548. Uh, yeah. A wind shear caution lasting eight seconds was initiated by the onboard system due to the tailwind component rapidly decreasing to four knots. Okay, you can go ahead and put up that graphic now. There's some uh, data here that uh, Liz is throwing up on this screen. Um, the wind shear caution came as a surprise to both pilots. Based on the wind shear caution displayed in the cockpit, the pilot monitoring called wind shear, which the pilot flying confirmed. Four seconds after the wind shear, the lowest altitude on an approach was reached at approximately 2,060 feet MSL, which is now about 650 feet above the ground. The pilot flying made the decision to go around, good decision, and initiated a missed approach procedure. On takeoff, or on during the miss, 
the pilot flying pushed both power levers forward to a thrust lever angle, a TLA of 74.9 degrees on the left and 75.3 degrees on the right. So that's not really that high. Uh, then took his right hand off the power levers, pulled the control column with both hands, and initiated the climb. The runway 15 of Salzburg Airport, uh, low level wind shear warning, what's the L-O-W-S stand for? Low? Anyway, uh, was diagonally to the right front of the aircraft at this time. Um, both pilots assumed at this point that, that the... That's the uh, ICAO code for Oh, uh, the airport. airport, okay. All right, thank you. Uh, both pilots assumed at this point that the power levers were pushed far enough forward and that the toga mode was pressed. However, as neither was the case, <laughs> the Uh-oh. automatic takeoff thrust control system was not activated. The auto throttle system therefore remained engaged in speed mode and retracted the two power levers pushed forward to maintain the set VREF speed of 130 knots. In other words, the power levers come, came back. Not good. No. As the pitch angle was increased to 14 degrees and the power was taken back by the autothrottle system, a loss of speed to as low as 113 knots indicated airspeed occurred. Yikes. This configuration, remember the reference speed uh, with the additive was 130, and now they're at 113. Uh, This combined with the aircraft attitude combined with the increased G-load triggered the stall warning, the stick shaker, for two seconds. 15 seconds after the wind shear caution. The flaps were retracted to position 4, 42 seconds after the wind shear caution at an altitude of approximately 1,110 feet above the airfield. A further 10 seconds later, at an altitude of approximately 2,590 feet MSL, the landing gear was retracted. It was not until 73 seconds after the wind shear caution that toga was pressed. Hmm. Better late than never, (laughs) maybe? Uh, well, the toga, it, um, yeah, it was. Yeah, very it was late. too late. The toga mode caused an engine power increase to the ATCCS. What was that called? The automatic thrust control uh, system, automatic takeoff thrust control system. Uh, value of eighty-seven point nine percent M one. One hundred and three seconds after the wind shear caution, with a DME indication of approximately two point one nautical miles, the LNAV navigation mode mode was activated. A further six seconds later, at an altitude of approximately 4,100 feet, the left turn of the missed approach procedure was initiated. Subsequently, the pilot flying steered the aircraft to 10,000 feet and flew two holding patterns over the VOR uh, Salzburg. The second approach and landing on runway 15 took place at approximately 1601 UTC without further incident. And so in this report, the probable causes are procedural deviations by cockpit crew due to surprise and startle effect and delayed reaction and activation of toga mode. Uh, Probable factors, crew, impairment due to surprise and startle, delayed actuation of the go-around button, procedural deviations, button, thank you, Liz, Uh, weather, uh, of course, wind shear, changing tailwind, and uh, thunderstorm activity in the vicinity. Did they brief the wind shear? Yes, Liz is making a good point. She's saying, uh, why were they startled? Because they briefed the possibility of wind shear. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Hey, stop pinching my comments, Liz. I was about to say that. I'm sorry. Uh, We'll we'll pretend. I'll I'll cut that out, Nick, in the uh, (laughs) post. Make Nick look brilliant. Okay, yeah. So what do you? Th- what would be your analysis, <laughs> Nick? 
And Liz, uh, just keep quiet. Shut up, Liz. Yeah, Shut well, up, Liz. I, you know, I, I, I'm going to wave my bullshit flag here a little bit because, um, you know, if you um, have added a gust factor because uh, you know there's a significant amount of uh, turbulent wind, um, you've got a tailwind, um, you... Um, have briefed the possibility of wind shear, all those factors go to making you aware of the fact that, you know, uh, we might be encountering some wind shear here on any approach uh, when the weather wind is not steady and calm and down the wrong way. You ought to be able to appreciate that wind shear can occur. Um, uh, uh, they haven't given a reason whether there was a cell nearby for this wind shear or what the situation was, but we don't have a met forecast. So we don't know what was in the forecast indicating gusty conditions. But uh, all that leads me to believe that you ought to be mentally prepared. Certainly, if you, as Liz quite rightly says, they, they preempted this by briefing it in, mm-hmm. in detail. So they must have it in the back of their minds that it, that it can occur. Uh, so, um, uh, and to be fair, we're all professional pilots um, if the airplane starts shouting wind shear at you, it is a standard memory item, the wind shear go-round. Um, why, you might be surprised that it's happened, but it shouldn't affect your performance in performing the correct manoeuvre to keep your aircraft safe. So um, I'm not too sure about <laughs> the validity of uh, this uh, excuse, excuse, whatever, cause. Yeah. Factor. I agree. It shouldn't have been a surprise. And they did talk about it. And, you know, why they didn't revert to their training and do everything that necessary to, to get the airplane power coming up. And the, they got the pitch coming up. They, they, they kind of left out that old uh, toga button depress, depressing and... Uh, depression. Or, <laughs> depression. Or just like, even if you hit the toga button, you still have to push those power levers up and that should just should be a natural reaction. You know, just get those things all the way up. And even if you're flying an airplane like mine that has a gate that you have to push through to get into max power, then do that. You know, ground contact is a factor. It just got to be something that just, you don't even think about. You just do it. And they didn't. Absolutely. Um, uh, We all understand the... uh, essential um, reason for putting full power on uh, had the wind shear continued and had they continued to loss lose speed i with the power setting they put on the aircraft i'm concerned that they might not have recovered no. uh, because i've been in wind shears in the simulator which are usually modeled on actual events where really bad we've only ones. got, uh, yeah, right, exactly right. Where we've only got away with it by the skin of our teeth, and any delay in uh, taking the appropriate recovery action, getting that power on and pitching the airplane away, um, has resulted in the aircraft not surviving. So these guys were pretty lucky. Not only did they end up in a situation where their stall warner was going off, if it had been a, 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 a more violent wind shear um there's a good chance they would have piled in which is i guess why uh, they made this um Mm. a serious incident there there was a a high probability that they might not have survived i agree this could definitely have been a a a tragedy 
I'd love to hear from some Embraer pilots about why you the, the captain felt it necessary to use both hands on the yoke. Page and Captain uh, Craig. Page you know, and I've Craig. always been taught to fly with one hand on the thrust levers, particularly at low level, particularly when you, uh, you know, it is important that you have the right thrust setting, uh, mm-hmm. even if it's just holding it. So it doesn't actually get not accidentally get knocked back from full power, um, and then you, you should be able to fly the airplane with the other hand. I'm not quite sure why he felt the need to take both hands uh, on the put both hands on the yoke. He had a weak left arm, apparently. Could be, could be. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'm not totally um, convinced by the summary there, but you know. At least they got away with it and were able to talk about it and were able to learn from it. Yes, that's true. Oh, actually, I've just found there. There you go. Thunderstorm activity in the vicinity of the destination airport. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, thunderstorms. Yes. Come on, guys. Yes, they did. And you've uh, just been through very heavy rain. Right. You know, so, you know, that, that is, that is wind shear territory. We should be all be aware of that. Right. I mean, that's the reason why they were talking about it and briefing it before they um, started their approach procedure. And that's why it's still like even more like what uh, we've already briefed it and, you know, talked about the threat and talked about how we mitigate the threat. And then all of a sudden you're in the threat. You actually, it's actually happening. And now everything that you've just, talked about has like gone out the window and you've forgotten how to fly an airplane. So, yeah, yeah, I don't, I hate to be critical. I wasn't there, but there you go. Okay. Anything else to say or shall we move on to another? uh, In, in defense of our analysis, um, I think it's quite right that we should candidly debrief when we have a situation like this, we should discuss you know, what it was, and th- there's no, you shouldn't attach blame to it. Um, you shouldn't be disciplined because of it, but you should receive the training so that next time you encounter this situation, you behave correctly. Uh, and if this company isn't training their pilots regularly in these actions, which is why they don't seem to have flown this particular one very well, then the company needs to be taken to task and ensure that all their crews are given uh, correct um, you know, wind shear training. So I can vouch for that because I just finished my recurrent training <laughs> and yeah. I saw a lot of wind shears, both oh, on right. departure and on approach. So... Were you startled? Uh, was I startled? No, I was not startled. For us, <laughs> yeah. I was not but, startled, uh, Liz, because I was kind of expecting it. So uh, you wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, so speaking of identifying threats and briefing possible ways to mitigate the threat, or what do they call that? Trap, trap the threat. Um. Would you, or did you, when you were actively flying, Nick, uh, brief the possibility of rolling down the runway and your seat uh, just re- going backwards from the control yoke and uh, and and, and, and qu- throttle quadrant? Is it that happened some- to me. Oh, did it? Did you? Yeah. But I, but I bet you didn't brief it beforehand. No, I didn't. Yeah. Right? <laughs> to be honest, I, I never do either, but... 
I guess it's a possibility. And this now is, he's going to. Yes, uh, I, I, Liz says now he's going to. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. If I remember, yeah. If for some reason, although in the airplane that I fly, honestly, if the seat goes all the way back, I, I can still reach the control yoke and I can still reach the throttles. It's not it's not a big cockpit. Um, that's what she said. I mean, for me, it was just the seat back. It, the, I mean, the seat's on a slider. Yeah. That was locked. The seat pan didn't move, but the seat back oh. went back. And I went back with it. Mm. Luckily, I didn't uh, grab. Luckily, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> pull on anything. Uh, but I and I and I That's sat what she up said. now, pulling on my lap, shoulder straps and sitting up right, uh, and gave control to my first officer, who completed the takeoff while I, you know, thought right, well, he's got mm-hmm. it under control now. We'll continue, and I'll try and get this hit up. But no, it was just the ratchet system on the back of the seat had failed, and uh, the seat just flop back because the our seats go a long way back they go nearly horizontal uh, wow but, you know yeah. oh that's right because you sleep most of the time okay <laughs> i understand um the uh no much else to do Avia- Avia- no not really aviation safety network um has this um aircraft accident let's suppose you're in a boeing 737-8 hg whatever that is uh victor Tango Alpha Yankee Delta. Okay, here we go. Hmm. Taruchurapali. Taruchurapali? Civil Airport? Nailed it. it. Did I really? Or do you know how to pronounce that? I don't know. I have never been there, but I would have said it's something similar. Uh, Air India Express Flight 611, a 737-800. Impacted the localizer antenna. And an airport wall on takeoff from the Tiruchirappalli International Airport in India. The aircraft was operating a regular flight to Dubai. It was clear for takeoff from runway 27. As the aircraft accelerated through a speed of 117 knots, the captain's seat recliner mechanism failed. Oh, so it is a recliner in his case, too. As the captain became, I was just thinking, picturing in my mind that it was going to be like the actual, you know, forward, aft, uh, uh, and forward movement of the of the seat, but no, the recliner. As the captain became unsettled, the throttle levers and control column were moved back inadvertently. He handed over control to the co-pilot for five seconds. Yeah. You have control for yeah, five seconds. Yeah, you have the airplane. Good luck. <laughs> I've got it back yes. now. Um, oh. After, go ahead. No, I, just the time. I, it was like not like you have control. It's you have control for five seconds. Yes. Well, I don't know if you would have said that, but uh, 117 knots, that's definitely in the high-speed realm oh, of yes. your takeoff. Both crew members uh, failed to notice a drop in engine thrust from 98% to 77%. He must have been holding on to the, the thrust levers as he was going backwards. <laughs> yeah. And since the auto throttle was in throttle hold mode above 84 knots, the thrust remained at 77%. Hmm. At 144 knots, some 2,000 feet short of the runway end, the captain raised the nose of the aircraft for rotation. So I guess he fixed, he, he, he got back into a position where he could actually uh, reach the controls. He noticed a slower rotation rate uh, and that a higher control column force was required than normal. He increased the control column force aft in order to get airborne. 
This caused a higher rotation rate and a pitch angle of 10.7 degrees, which led to a tail strike on the undulated soft surface hmm. past the end of the runway for 17 meters, followed by the aft fuselage contacting the localizer antenna and boundary wall. Both main landing gear also impacted the brick boundary wall, causing two holes. If you go to the last um, uh, slide there, or slide, the overlay, yeah, there's the brick. There's the brick wall. (laughs) There's the brick wall. And what's left of the localizer antenna uh, array. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Okay. Um, The aircraft climbed to flight level 360. Hmm? What? And proceeded towards Dubai because all systems what was were all that normal. Damage? <laughs> well, you know, no, it's just a flesh wound. Uh, <laughs> while en route, <laughs> the operations department insisted upon a diversion to Mumbai. At that time, the flight was well over the Arabian Sea. The aircraft landed safely at Mumbai at 5:38 local time in the morning a.m. Uh, probable cause. Well, before we uh, analyze the probable cause and other factors involved in this, I think that we need to introduce... She said she was going to join at getting to know you. Oh, never mind then. Disregard what I just said. Um, probable, oh, disregard it, sir. Very good. Uh, which you normally do. That's a normal default position. Disregard <laughs> yes. whatever Captain Jeff said. You mean we're supposed Absolutely. to regard it? Uh, shut up, Liz. Uh, <laughs> probable cause of the accident. Delayed takeoff. Due to reduction of takeoff thrust N1 from 98 to 77% before reaching V1, inability of both the crew members to monitor the thrust parameters and to take timely corrective action. This resulted in tail strike and subsequent hitting of the localizer antenna and boundary wall of the airport. Uh, the contributory factors, the pilot and command seatbag recliner mechanism failure during takeoff roll, Breakdown of crew coordination during switching between pilot flying, pilot monitoring, and back. Loss of situational awareness. And there you have it. We no have startle the, factor? No startle factor, Liz. I mean, that should have been thrown in there for good measure. Um, but uh, we do have the full accepted report on this incident from the uh, India Air Accident Investigation, Aircraft Accident Investigation Bureau. If you want to delve into all the nitty gritty details that'll be in the show notes. And, uh, as, uh, Liz just put on our, uh, our video, um, some of the overlays and pictures of, uh, some of the, that's the main gear, I believe left hand main landing gear wheel with a big giant hole, a lower beacon completely destroyed. And the best one this is this one. That's the belly of the aircraft, and it did significant damage to the fuselage skin. Uh, you can just see the uh, understructure. And let's not forget the left horizontal stabilizer with a big, giant, gaping hole in it. And there you go. There's the broken runway end light, which is the least of the damage to the airfield. And then, of course, the brick wall and the uh, localizer antenna array. I and just it, love all the guys standing around in this picture. Yeah, the Lisa, she loves all the guys just standing around in this picture. Like, ooh, what happened here? Yeah, check this out. Check this out, man. Anyway, so if you want to look at all that, you can look at the full report or just um, look at the video and you'll see it all. And uh, that'll be at airlinepilotguy.com slash whatever the name of this episode is, number 487. 487. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
So that's an interesting incident there. Nick, what do you think? Absolutely. I'm just going to say that when the guy sat up, I'm reading the actual report now, Mm -hmm. uh, he recovered from his disbalanced position, Mm -hmm. not a phrase I would have used. Disbalanced, Looked outside and realized that they are left with the last 2,000 feet of the runway and the aircraft still had not attained V1. Mm. Um, At that point, if, if for no other reason... You, uh, you know, nothing else had happened on the flight and you had 2,000 feet left and you weren't even at V1 yet. Um, what would you do, be doing with the throttles? I would be like jamming them through the <laughs> instrument panel. Yeah, right. I'd be going, what the hell's Wait, going are, on? We, we, 2,000 feet, we're not at V1 yet? God. I know. So, like, yeah, I'd firewall the throttles. I'd be, no, no, in a, you know. Push him, push him to the far, farthest reaches of the cockpit. Um, I know. Which like might be, saved the situation. Like break the darn things out of the yeah. throttle quadrant. So, I'll be holding them. you know, I'm going, uh, um, once you add in the fact that the, we've had this disturbance and the guy's been thrown back away from the controls and that the, there is a possibility that he he moves something inadvertently, that's that would double my certainty that I need to go now to full power. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just completely bemused as to why he didn't. So, yeah. And add, add to that that for five seconds, the co-pilot, the first officer, was uh, flying the aircraft. Why didn't... They go, oh, I've got control now. Yeah, uh, this let's is, make sure this that, isn't going well. <laughs> yeah, doesn't feel like we're accelerating uh, like we normally yeah. do. Maybe the I should engine, push the lever, the power lever. Yeah, didn't they note the engine tone changing? <clears throat> I'm not sure, but anyway, no, not. I know. So I'm going. Uh, is it that the, the co-pilot wasn't very um, experienced? Um, Probably not. For, not felt. Trustworthy didn't was, they wasn't sensory assured pilots. themselves enough to go. We need to. I need to do something to save the situation here. Uh, and Liz says they weren't sensory pilots. <laughs> they had no <laughs> sense. They were yeah, no sense. I know it's very very easy for us to, and particularly me. I'm no longer doing this day to day. Yeah, uh, easy for you to say. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's very easy for me to sit and snipe from the uh, sidelines here. So, but the, the, some of these situations, I go, I, I'm just at a loss as to why you know certain actions aren't taken. I am too, and you know, uh, gobsmacked. That's a, that's a good word, Liz. I'm gobsmacked as well because, but you know what? If uh, stupid things like this weren't happening, we wouldn't be talking about it on the show, would we? <laughs> Pretty short show. Yes. We're grateful for stupid things. <laughs> yes, thank you, everybody out there making stupid maneuvers uh, or decisions. Uh, hopefully, none of us will be in that category, at Absolutely. least uh, until we retire. Yeah, crazy. I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But you know what does make a lot of sense to me? It makes a lot of sense to me to uh, play this. Oh, wow. Nope, not that, Liz. (laughs) But if you don't mind, could you throw up the, and I say throw up in in the nicest way that I can. No, I knew it. Dang it. Okay. From her lakeside studio... In South, it is a doctor, a skydiver, doctor, 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 
uh, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, the lovely Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Sorry for my tardiness. Yet again, this seems to be a recurring We're making note of it. The doctoring has been (laughs) busy, which I suppose is a good thing. I don't know. Keeps me me occupied so I don't get into trouble. Depends if you're paid per injection. Mm, mm, paid per, per patient encounter, yes. And it depends yes. on whether or not uh, <laughs> you're the doctor or the patient. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's been it's been good. It's just been a little little busy. Um, you know, on paper, it always kind of looks like I'll be out of there in plenty of time, and then you know how things go. Sometimes things we just are just a little bit longer than you expect, and things. Um, that's what crop she up said. That, yeah, right. Well, you hope that's what she said. <laughs> Maybe. Um, Hopefully Yeah, it's just, it's just the usual work stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, good to be with well, you Well, we're just happy to have you for whatever we can have you for, if that makes oh. any sense at all. Probably not. Mm. Hmm. Sounds creepy. It does sound yeah. a bit dodgy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's normal for me. Uh, all right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we've, we've uh, managed to make it uh, through the news segment. Anything you want to add to anything that we said about any of these incidents, Steph? Or, or no, are you happy I was, to I just... was listening in, and you mm-hmm. guys did a beautiful job of covering it your saying everything I would have said. Yeah. Liz says you were enthralled by our analysis, our expert mm-hmm. analysis. Yes, or analysis. Or na- analysis. Um, anyway. Um, Cut back careful. on the 9%. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we are now at that point in the show uh, where we do this. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Ha. Ah. I use the correct words because I want Dr. Steph to be happy. happy. (laughs) So happy. There you go. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So why don't we talk to Dr. Steph and see what has been happening in her life? Like she leads such a boring life. I doubt that she has anything to tell us about. Nothing. I knew it. Yep. It's true. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Not that it's um, an unboring life. Uh, it's just busy. It's been really busy. Um, yeah. Still kind of late summer season, so lots of flying on the weekends. So that takes up most of my weekend days from like 8 a.m. till, I don't know, 6 p.m. or so. Um, plus travel time to get there and whatnot. And then, let's see, what else? Um, did a couple of jumps on Friday, actually. One on Friday, one on Saturday. I forget. One on Friday, one on Sunday. I don't remember. Um, and then the rest of it's just work, day job, work, work, eight to work, five, work, 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 work. work, work, work. <laughs> um, that is a completely different podcast and audience. <laughs> and um, what else? A lot of running. A lot of running recently. Um, I've got quite what are a few marathons. From? What is it? That's uh, I don't know. I wish you. I knew what was running. What I was running from. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't. I, I wish I had a good answer for that. Um, I seem to do it to myself, and a lot of miles uh, need to be put in for some mm. of these races coming up in the fall. And actually, are only some of them are a month away at this point. So yeah. Do you want to talk about any of the, that, or are you going to surprise nah, us uh, in the future with all that? Eh, there's craziness. let's just say there's a there's a lot of running to be done. 
I'll surprise you in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. But I was I was at the track at about five o'clock this morning. I did eight miles before work. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Steph, I'm just curious if I could pipe up for a second. When yeah. you do a jump nowadays, I mean, do you actually free fall uh, for long? And what proportion of it is free fall, uh, if any? So it depends. Um, good question. What did you do last? the last two jumps you said you did? Mm. Yeah, so the... I'm trying to remember if I did two, one or two on Friday. I can't remember. Um, I think just one because I got there towards the end of the day and things were kind of wrapping up. On Friday, we did a jump from 14,000 feet, uh, which is actually about 13.5 AGL in our area. Um, And I jumped with two other jumpers, one relatively new, one very experienced. Um, And that's always kind of fun because you're trying to match up what what your skill sets are and what you can do. And a lot of times it's about helping that newer jumper to feel more confident in their skills and abilities. Um, so from that altitude, there's a roughly 60 seconds of free fall at terminal velocity. Mm-hmm. So you get about a minute to do whatever you would like. Um, in this case, we um, did something called a speed star. So everyone leaves the aircraft unlinked. So you're not holding on to each other when you go. Um, first person out the door gives the count. Everyone else follows them um, in rapid succession. The idea is to uh, join up as quickly and safely as possible into just a round formation. So everyone's holding um, the arm or hand of the person next to them. Um, and in this case, because we were working on um, some skills with that newer jumper, once we were into that position, the goal was for him to do something destabilizing, kind of get out of the way, and then we'd come back to him. And um, by the time we did that twice, that's about all the time we had. because <laughs> It took a minute to get together. Um, I did a jump a couple weeks ago with some more experienced jumpers, just some some belly um, jumps, so, so belly to earth orientation, um, where we actually uh, had a group of two of us, so four jumpers, two of us um, linked together and then doing, uh, coming all together and then breaking apart into uh, two and two and um, basically turning around, uh, uh, doing a 360 and then coming back together. So both groups turned into 360. And then meet back up, get back together, and then kind of recombine and do that again. And we did got a, quite a few points on that. So a point is every time you come together and make the formation that you're trying to, to make. And then I did do a hop and pop jump out of the 182. Uh, so that's a very short delay, generally just a few seconds. And then um, deploy your parachute. Oh, cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Uh, and we, we, the three of you that did this jump with the relatively new... Jumper, uh, was that by choice or do you just get lumped together? No, that was by choice. Um, okay. Well, kind of by choice. You know, we there weren't that many jumpers there at that time of day on Friday afternoon. Um, and we were on this, uh, we'd all joined that particular load and there were some, I think the rest of the plane was filled with tandem skydivers at that point. So there weren't that many spaces left on the aircraft, but it was the three of us. And we kind of looked around and went, oh, okay, we'll, uh, we'll do a jump together. Excellent. Um, Two of us were already planning to jump together, and the the other more experienced jumper was just going to go solo. But then he realized we were going to do um, some relative work and, and belly to earth stuff, and he said, oh, "That sounds like fun. I'll join you all as well." I've never done a threesome. That sounds like a, mm. a lot of fun. It gets a little crazy in skydiving: four ways, five ways, big ways, mm. ten plus, hundred ways. <laughs> Ooh, wow! <laughs> Neil has so, a question there for Steph. Neil has yeah. a question for you, Steph. Mm. If you're going for uh, up for your first jump, do you usually just do one or can you do more? 
Uh, so that depends. Um, Hang on a minute. You can only have one first jump. The next one's the second jump. <laughs> True. I, I, yeah, Good it depends point. on what you're what you're asking. You know, if you're if you're doing your first tandem jump, a lot of people will just come and do one tandem on a day. Um, but it's definitely happened where people have done more than one tandem skydive in a day. Um, for a first jump course, uh, where you're going to um, have your own rig and parachute, and you're going to jump with a couple of instructors at the end of the course, that course typically takes all day. Um, if you are, if the weather's uh, good and permits, a lot of times they'll just do one jump at the end of the day. A lot of times, um, now there is, uh, depending on where you're going through that course, you may or may not have to do a tandem evaluation jump as well. So you'll actually do another tandem before you go um, with your own gear. And um, if you get through all of that, it, you can do as many jumps as you want in a day, um, depending on the circumstances. So if you're a student and you're learning, you need instructors available, you need space on the plane available, you need time and money. Sometimes it's a money thing. Yeah. How much does it cost? It's a good question. No I idea. know. That's why I asked it. Um, I don't know. I pay about $28 per jump. Well, I'm not asking you what you pay what would a person like me without the uh apg discount uh -huh. pay? it depends on the day too because it switches between um weekday and i mean it's like 100 bucks 200 bucks no i'm gonna tell you exactly okay tell me exactly i just don't want to i just don't want to lie about it no. um stand by i promise i've got this is oh, exciting. Yeah, sure. Uh, weekend rate, uh, $239, Ooh. and I think it's 189 or 199 on Wednesday and Thursday. Wow, that's then, pricey. Does that include the parachute and all that? Uh, I know you need to have one. Yes. Uh, but well, So that's for a tandem skydive. Oh, okay. Gotcha. What if you uh, are about to do your first solo dive mm. uh, and you don't have your own equipment, so you need yeah, to rent it? The and gear rental, I want to say, is $50. Okay. Um, and probably a little bit less money than the tandem jump, I would imagine, since you uh, have to yeah, pay you're for... still well, you're still paying for uh, for the first couple of jumps. You still have two instructors with you, so you're oh. still having that cost. Oh, uh, well, they're, they're up there with you. Oh, and they jump with you. Mm -hmm. They uh, jump with you, and generally they're holding on to you, just in case uh, you freak well, out. Well, there's different. Forget. No, that, there's different. Yeah, for, it's to keep you stable. It's to keep you safe. Oh. Um, they're there to make sure that you're doing the. Um, required elements of the jump there's different skills that you have to demonstrate that you're proficient in so how long is it going to be before you're a skydiving instructor dr Stone? not going to do that what no interest that's very unlike you i have so many things fly. on the plate and there's yeah no. okay no 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 um i don't know i don't see where it says what the cost is i don't remember eh, doesn't, doesn't eh. matter i don't no. worry i'm not going to be doing it no no Wim. you could I could, yes. There are a lot of things I could do, like get up uh, and run eight miles at five o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to do that. Sorry. <laughs> not me. Oh, gear um, rental is $30. Not who I am. Not who I am. Um, oh, here you go. Uh, first jump course plus skills evaluation jump, which is a tandem skydive. The total cost of that is $330. That's not bad. For the six-hour ground school followed by a yeah, tandem evaluation skydive. Really is not the that second, bad. The next three jumps are $240. Okay. And then $190 and then $175. And then. And is, that, is that pretty much competitive with uh, all the skydiving yeah, that's gonna schools be and stuff? Relatively standard, as far as I know. Yeah. Cool. 
All right. So um, anything else happening in your life that you want to share? Don't think so. Okay. Very good. Mm-hmm. Captain Nick, how about you? Yes, sir. It's been a, um, happening with you. Well, uh, I played the game of bowls today, which was rather nice. Oh, yeah. End of the... Coming towards the end of the season, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we um, were top of our league by one point, and we were playing our final game. And the team that are behind us by one point were playing elsewhere. Um, so we were playing a team, uh, a club that was quite low down. So we were hoping for a really good score so that we could uh, maintain our position. And um, uh, we did okay on my rink. So, uh, like, we were 28, 20, uh, 30 shots to 12 or something. So we had a, a good 18-shot lead. But sadly, the rink next door had, a, I can only describe it as a meltdown, mm. uh, and uh, they lost by 20 shots. So <laughs> Is that, got, That's pretty bad, huh? That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. So um, we, uh, you get one point for winning, uh, one point your your rink and one. So there's two rinks. That's possible two points and one for winning the overall added together score. Uh, we only got one point. Our rink. The we were missed the overall score by two shots, and of course the other rink lost so badly. But anyway. So we got one one point out of it, and we went, oh, damn, we've lost our chance to win the league because the other team that playing elsewhere are bound to get more than that. Mm-hmm. They didn't. As it Yay. turned out, they got exactly the same score as we did. Oh. So uh, we both had one point. We were leading by one point, so you know uh, we stayed at the top. Uh, that's great because uh, now we're into a finals day on like, September, my birthday, um, which is going to be great fun. Yeah, we're going to play the other um, three regions uh, in a one-day be extravaganza of semifinals and finals to see who um, wins the whole area league. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. So that was great. That was good fun. Awesome. Um, yeah, Congrats. Uh, and thanks, and played some pretty good shots today, so really chuffed. And as I said I would, I'm going to uh, uh, say again that we've got a meet-up in the UK. If you've heard it before, uh, there's a bit of extra news. So uh, let's just say it's uh, at um, the Hangar Cafe at Fairex Airport in uh, Woking, or near Woking in Surrey. And I'll be there from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and it's on the 25th of September, which is a Saturday. Um, and I was chatting to uh, our lovely friend from PTUK, Neville Bounds, who is our audio specialist. Never heard of him. And he, <laughs> he said very kindly that he has got a, a PA system. Mm. Uh, so he's going to bring uh, an amplifier and um, speakers. And um, I'm going to bring the mics, and uh, we can actually now talk and record what we say at the same time. So I think, all right, okay. Um, what what, what could we talk about other than thanking everyone for coming and all that kind of stuff, and perhaps recording some bits and bobs uh, from the people who were there for the show? Um, I thought, oh, actually, I, I could probably generate a kind of impromptu plain tale. And, and that's the idea. I'm going to do an impromptu plain tale about my 
experiences, uh, and there were some pretty dramatic experiences. I nearly died. I watched an aircraft catch crash uh, in which people sadly did die mm. um, at this airport in the in the short time I was there. Uh, so, um, I've, you know, I've got a, I've got a few recollections that I can certainly share. So I thought I'd uh, I'd do a little sort of impromptu plain tale uh, while we're there, and I looked for somewhere to do this. And sadly, they're actually the cafe is quite small, uh, and of course the general public are in there as well as we will be. So not an ideal situation really. But there is a corner beside the flight school uh, that we can probably have a small gaggle of people and set up there. So as so long as the weather is clement and not inclement, Ooh. then uh, we should be fine. So praying for clement weather. And uh, uh, and I'm decided that uh, I'm going to do that at 12 o'clock. At 12 noon, I will chat for half an hour and then we you know, we can all go and have lunch. So what that means, uh, he's planning on chatting for a half an hour. That means an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, If it's if it's wet and horrible, I'm I will try and find a you know if there is a base and a hangar or something we can go to. But that means speaking to the airport uh, and asking them if they can accommodate us. So we'll have to play that by ear a little bit. But anyway, if you are around and i know lots of people are already thinking of coming just bear in mind that there's not a heap to do there um the cafe is rudimentary it's nice but it's it's not exactly um salubrious so uh you know uh and there's not much to do other than lean on a fence and watch the airplanes uh, so if uh that's that's why i said that you know pitch up and be yeah. there as long as you I mean, want the, then the go whole point of it is just to kind of get together with like-minded folk and talk about aviation absolutely. or whatever you know absolutely so, yeah because i i did go back i did go there uh last weekend and have a look at and chat to the people at the flying school etc and uh, uh and i found that the young lass who was doing the very job now that i was doing 48 years ago so uh i'm gonna have invite her to Tell us a little bit about uh, this flying school and things like that. So, well, I hope that uh, her muff is well kept as uh, Nev's, uh, according <laughs> to Neil Lanwarm. Uh, he says that uh, he has a well kept muff. Yeah, he Maybe does. I should cut uh, that out of he, the show. He strokes it. <laughs> he, he strokes it and combs it. I gather to uh, keep it looking neat. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, actually. Yeah, I hope that yeah, he does that uh, yeah, in private, not in public. No, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Anyway, that's that's me, so done and dusted. Excellent. Well, thank you, Nick. Um, sounds like you're going to have a great time at uh, the Fair Oaks Air Fair Oaks Fair Oaks <laughs> Airport. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't know what yes. I just said. Um, all right. Uh, well, we need to uh, talk about um, uh, another meetup uh, coming up here in uh, September. And uh, hang on, wait. I have some breaking news. The control room is informing me that the Fargo, North Dakota meetup has been postponed. And maybe they're going to change locations. And maybe sure. they're going to change location, like maybe Palm Beach, Florida, instead of uh, Fargo, North Dakota, <laughs> which is, 
I don't know. That might still be too uh, hot this time of year. You might want to consider something in the middle. No, just kidding. It's probably going to still be up at Fargo, I'm imagining, uh, but maybe not at the Fargo airport. So they're still uh, kind of determining uh, what's going to happen with Kelly that Fargo meetup. Kelly is going to let us know, and then we're going to pass it on with you or to you. And also, I'm sure that will be um, uh, something that will be updated uh, via Slack as well. So if you want to be a slacker, uh, make sure that you listen to Hillel at the end of the show, and he's going to tell us all about how you can become a slacker if you aren't already one and uh, all right, so uh, I'll move on to what's been happening with me. Uh, let's see, since the last, sort of since the last show, because last show was a two-parter, and we recorded the first half or first part on Wednesday of last week, and then um, on Friday and Saturday I went through recurrent training, and uh, then on Saturday night um, back here uh, at uh, the cabin. Uh, home, uh, got together with Rick and we recorded part two. And, uh, anyway, the big deal for <laughs> me was, uh, doing the, uh, training the, that we do every nine months and, uh, made it through that. I'm good for another nine months. And, uh, let's see what else then on, uh, Saturday after the, after the recurrent training, I did sing at the vigil mass at my church. And then, um, headed home and we did the part two and then, yeah, that's been it since the last episode. And now I checked my, um, my PO box, uh, in Roswell and I had a little uh, notification that I had received a parcel and, uh, let's see here. I want to see, uh, Ooh, that sounds nice. Let me, uh, open up my, um, Big little thing IPA. That's a good IPA. <laughs> yes, it is. It's nine percent alcohol too, so I have to be careful. Uh, and I wish I had something uh, suitable to pour it. In. Oh, wait a minute. I do have something suitable to pour it into. This nice uh, piece of glassware from Dragon and uh, Rob Simmons in the UK uh, sent this to me. And uh, these things are well. Let's see. I'm gonna. What did you put the? There we go. Upside down beer glasses. So you can see in the in the graphic there, uh, these are double walled, very very finely crafted beer glasses, but a nice natural insulation because of the double glass, and um, and they're and they're attractive as well. So thank you very much, Rob, for sending those to me. Very much appreciated, and I'll be using them often, or often if you prefer. Um, also. Um, I had another package awaiting me, and this was sent to my former residence. Um, and uh, this is from somebody who originally called himself when he uh, joined us in the ABG community, uh, Papa Tango. But we um, made sure that he used his real name because that's what we do here. The land of real names. Um, Peter Tarantelli sent this package. See, it's real. And inside of the envelope are, well, I got this business card from Peter. And on the back says, I found these and thought of you. Do people play cards any longer? Feel free to pass them along if you'd like. And again, that's from Peter. 
So let me show you these very, very cool cards that he found. And uh, they are not brand new, and you'll understand why here in a second. Here are the playing cards. Uh -huh. Oh, Pan very Am. Cool. Pan wow. Am. Excellent. Playing cards, and yeah, they're real. See, look. They have we all can these play real cards. poker with them next real, we get real pen. <laughs> okay, Liz. They're not, they're not fake cards. Is that what you were no, she to say? said that uh, she was suggesting a game that we can play the next time we're all together. 52 card pickup. Nope. Huh. No, I'm, I know what. It's a poker. form of. Oh. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I know what Liz is suggesting. I was trying to give you a less. Uh, Gin rummy, you're trying, I'm sure. You're trying to make it a uh, family show. Family show. Yeah. Mm, I tried. Anyway. Sorry, uh, I failed. Wow, thank you. Uh, I'm talking about air traffic control strips. Oh, she's talking about the strips that they have at air traffic control. Ah. So it's our okay. fault for our minds being in the gutter. Being in, yeah, yeah just immediately to the dirtiest thing possible. <laughs> That's fine. I don't buy it, though, Liz. Nice try. Anyway, thank you, Peter, for sending the cards. Those are awesome. And uh, I'll, I'll use them often. Well, maybe not, but I will use them for sure. And uh, yeah, so that's it basically uh, for me. Um, next thing I have on my schedule as far as flying is uh, middle of next week, Wednesday through Friday. I have an Asheville layover and then Ooh, I have a, uh, yeah, I've never flown into Asheville. I've been to Asheville many times, but n never have flown in. And, uh, let's see the second night I'm in or day I'm in Dayton, Ohio, uh, the, the home of the Wright brothers, but not the home of the first flight. Exactly. As, as, we as, can, uh, yes, we can, we can <laughs> agree on that. I knew so I had to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's it, uh, for me. Um, and we're not sure when we're, when we will be recording the show next week, but, uh, we'll certainly post it on the APG community calendar. And did you want to make a little comment about 500? So like you did in oh, your crew log. Okay. Liz is asking if I wanted to make any mention of the, uh, 500th episode of the APG and no, I don't want to talk. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I'll, I'll say this, that it's something that uh, has been mentioned, uh, but it's not something that we have formally, as a crew, gotten together and discussed. And I think from my rough calculations, uh, it's going to happen somewhere like the end of I was just November, beginning calendar. of December, I so believe. So it's 13, 13 episodes, or 12 episodes from now? It's, uh, let's see, we're on 87 right 13. now, so 13 to go. And I think it's around the beginning of December ish. Yep. Um, so unless we be December 2nd, if okay. it was exactly. Yeah. And we haven't really, we haven't really discussed it, uh, at all. And so I'm not sure if we're going to do something special or not. Um, but if we do, we'll certainly let you all know. And then if it's a thing that we can get together with a bunch of people, then uh, that would be a lot of fun. But again, I don't know. Um, it, you know, we're still kind of in that weird pandemic world, uh, not quite post pandemic yet. And so we'll have to discuss, um, as a crew and decide what we're going to do. Yeah. So there, um, yes, Nick. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, I forgot to mention this. Okay, I'm just going to put this overlay back up. Uh, so that's the thing, uh, that I was advertising, uh, our meetup. Yeah. Um, that, 
I, I took that picture uh, from an A340 oh. uh, as I flew over Fair Oaks. And this is one of the reasons why this airport is a little bit notorious, getting in and getting out of it, because it's under the London control zone. And I was in a 340 oh. looking down at this place where I got took so um you know did my first solo and etc and uh, took the picture out the window remembering me standing on the ground there watching the 747s and the big airliners fly into heathrow and here it was many many years later i was doing exactly the opposite i was now looking down at the place where i used to look up wow uh, so anyway full circle absolutely yeah. yes anyway i thought i'd just mention that that is cool that is cool all right. Very good. Um, oh, and Liz, if you'll pop up the artwork for the last episode, 486, we'll just yes, discuss sir. that quickly. And look at this. The handiwork of our creative uh, Captain Nick. Genius. Genius. Stunning. Creative genius, yes. And uh, that is uh, the, the title of the show was Tool Control. And it looks like the left hand of oh, this. Oh, tip uh, control. Oh, tip control. You're right, Liz. Tip control. Uh, which, you know, tips are part of the tools. Um, and uh, That's speaking, exactly what it was referring to. Speaking of that, uh, the left hand of this gentleman uh, is, is has a quite an imagination regarding his own tool, apparently. Um, <laughs> his own screwdriver. Oh, his own his, screwdriver. Yes, yeah, yes. The, what yes. tool did his, you the, think I was? Tool, what, yeah. Come Why, on. <laughs> again, another example of just take something very straightforward and... Yeah. And yeah. just pervert it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, very, very creative. Um, interesting uh, bend to that particular tool there. Um, I yeah, guess well, I hear that when that happens, it's pointing in the direction of the problem. <laughs> yes. Okay. He's lost control of his tip, is all I can say. <laughs> Whatever that means, sure. Well, it is tip control. We were mm-hmm. It's very important. Uh, so I've okay, been told. Moving along. Okay. Yes. Maybe we should move on before it gets. Uh, Good idea. To yeah. All right. Anything else we should uh, talk about uh, before we head over to the coffee no. fund? Okay. Where's Rick? Where's Rick? Oh, Rick is. Um, hang on. Let me show you where Rick is. I think we have some uh, some video of Rick uh, at this moment. Uh, he couldn't oh, he's join not us again. Is he? Yeah. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he is still. I mean, iron. he's a perfectionist. You got to give it to him. It's he is not going to stop until that shirt is wrinkle-free, perfectly creased, in all the right places. So. We need to get an endorsement yeah. from the ironing company. Oh, look, he's 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 like saying. I think something he's giving to us. advice on how to iron shirts. Yes, Rick, could you speak up a little bit? We're having trouble hearing you. No, we, we still can't hear you. The microphone's no, not on. No, not, not going to. Uh-uh. Oh, well. I think he was saying no. Uh, <laughs> so timing. as soon as he for, uh, re, uh, gets finished with the task of ironing his shirt, he's going to join us. So we'll see him sometime next year. <laughs> yeah, it won't be It won't be on the show. <laughs> no, yeah. he, uh, he is uh, um, en route uh, somewhere, I think, to visit his parents or something. It's, it's a very important uh, trip that he's taking right now. And uh, so we're hoping that uh, we'll be able to have him with us next week, at least if we don't have him for part one of the two-parter next week, which I'm guessing might happen, uh, we'll have him at least on one of the segments of the show, as we did the last episode. So, um, yeah, that's that's where Rick is, to answer your question. Thank you for asking, Captain Nick. And 
Now, I think we should talk about those wonderful folks that uh, support us financially. We call it the Coffee Fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. That's too low. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jeff Smith, for doing that nice APG Java Jive jingle for us. And that's what we play when we talk about the Coffee Fund and the Coffee Fund cadre or the Coffee Bar Club, if you prefer. And a couple different ways to do that. And the first is something we call the Coffee Fund Classic, the uh, the OG Coffee Fund. And that is via PayPal, one-time donation or recurring donation, your choice. And since the last episode, we have Randy Ackerman, Alistair Kerr, Mazuts Karim, Mark Anderson, and Vigner. Um, they used the, uh, the Coffee Fund Classic method. Thank you gentlemen. And the other way to uh, participate in the Coffee Fund is to become a patron of our show via Patreon. And since the last episode, we have two new producers, Thomas Tordell and Martin McGregor. And ding, 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 we have a new assistant senior executive producer, Sean Kuzak. That's awesome. Thank you very much for becoming patrons of our show. And if you want to join these wonderful people, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. Is that my brother? I don't know. Have you, is that his name? Yeah. Oh, that's right. It is Mark Anderson. I don't know. You better talk to him. See if he's a... a I, I don't talk to him. I don't talk to that one. I all. guess, I'm guessing that's <laughs> probably not. You're I'm only joking. Probably yeah. not him. Yeah, probably. We occasionally not. communicate. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe he wants so to become like, a Coffee Fund cadre member so that he can have some kind of a. He's trying to form a leverage relationship. Ah. He's, he's <laughs> reaching out. <laughs> Good luck, Mark. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Mark, whoever you are, and everybody else who uh, participates in our Coffee Fund. We do appreciate you. And now it's time for feedback. Incoming message. Let's start off this week's feedback with uh, some audio feedback from JJ Not Pittsburgh. So let's hear what he has to say. Hey, PG crew. This is JJ Not Pittsburgh from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sending in my first audio feedback. Um, thought it was time. I've been listening to the show for a few years now, and I think it's time that I put my voice out there into the into the world. Uh, anyways, man, it has been a couple of difficult weeks, some definite highs and lows in, uh, in my flight training. Uh, I've got my private pilot's license, and uh, I'm actually on my way down right now to Look at a few flight schools, both Part 61 and 141. Um, I really have enjoyed the insight I've gotten from Dr. Steph, and uh, also uh, when Dana was on the show, he had some some great insight as well as far as 
uh, flight training, uh, civilian paths to, to flight training. Anyways, um, just wanted to give you all a shout out. I, I've, uh, listened to the show for the last few years. My four year, four year old daughter and I are avid listeners. We listen to you guys. I don't, I can't remember what days the podcast come out, but every Monday, my daughter and I sit and listen to the APG and she has got the theme song down and she has got, uh, the coffee fun song memorized. And, uh, she, she gets just as much, just as much of a kick out of the show as I do. So, um, I'll, uh, I guess turn it back to you all. I just wanted to once again, give a shout out. Thank you all so much for being just so consistent. And, uh, I really enjoy the stories and the anecdotes and I will try to keep you posted as, uh, as I progress. But, uh, thanks again and y'all have a great day. Thanks, JJ. And, uh, hey, you know, you probably have noticed I'm kind of um, doing the Tulsa thing in recent um, weeks, months, and I'm sure that I'll be back in Tulsa again in the future. So kind of keep uh, um, in touch with us and I'd love to meet you in person. And so cool that your four-year-old daughter uh, gets a kick out of listening to our show and sings, you know, what you have to do, you have to get a recording of her singing this stuff. There we'll you play go. It on the show. She'll... She can sing instead of me. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure she's a better singer LP. than I am. I have uh-huh. no doubt about it. Yeah. She can, I can, um, you know, give her a guest spot, a little cameo a feature, if you will. Yeah. Dr. Stuff can even introduce her before we play the recording of her singing. We so, to. Yeah. So do that, even if you have to do it, what, surreptitiously? No, surreptitiously. Surreptitiously. That's the word. Is the word. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. All right. Well, I got the first few letters right. Yeah, that kind of give me partial credit. That's like 50%? Maybe 50%. I don't know. What do you think? Can we get an official judge judgment on that? Stirreptitiously doesn't count. I didn't say stirrup. I can't find it. Uh, <laughs> That's something entirely different. And oh, not okay. not for the G rated. It's so harsh. I was giving you 50. You Thank you, Liz. I appreciate it. She's so harsh. Oh, I know. Um, okay. I don't know who would give you less than 50% on that. I, uh, I have an idea. It's like this person right mm. here. Mm. Okay. Uh, let's see. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you for sending in that audio feedback, JJ. And let's and don't be a stranger. I mean, what took you so long to finally, you know, participate in the feedback thing? Come on. And can we all add our congratulations? Uh, yes. yes. For his achievement, brilliant yes. job. Thank you. Excellent job. Yeah, and I'm I know that there's a uh, something here that I can play like this. There you go. Yeah. yeah. All right, way to go. Awesome. By the way, when I played the applause during his audio feedback, I did exactly this. I was trying to adjust the volume. <laughs> I was trying to adjust the volume slider, and it fired the darn audio clip instead. Sorry about that. Anyway. Okay. Just before you go on, there's oh. an interesting comment from Control Kyle. Room. Is um, I can totally hear her. Contact. I could hear her. How oh, can I you? Can hear her. Oh, yeah, oh I know why. There. 
Okay, say something now. Sure, playing on the speaker. <laughs> this is sitting down there on the floor or something. He's got no, hello in right the bathroom and Liz on the, the kitchen floor. This is like oh she's God. right. She's in this little like. box right here. I don't know what she's doing in there, but that's where I hear. Her from. Um, but now I just hear her in my ear. Uh, maybe I should leave her on the now. speaker. That's kind no. of fun, right? No? Okay. Um, <laughs> Kyle Campbell, finally getting to You'd listen to a live... <laughs> finally getting to listen to a live broadcast and just happened to be sitting at Jeff's home in Atlanta. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Okay. Things are starting to become clearer for me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's very awesome. <laughs> wow. I mean, had to do it while So many questions are answered. Um, you had to kind of broach this subject to me like when we're doing a live broadcast. <laughs> Please say hi to my wife for me, if you don't mind. Oh, wait a minute. No, hang on. I didn't read the entire message. Uh, oh, at 717 land at Hartsfield North Seastra. Oh, Okay, I'm sorry. I thought you were at my house in Roswell. Are your kids starting to call him daddy? Yeah. Liz said, are your kids starting to call him daddy? That's not funny. That's, that's going to make me cry. Not really. Okay. Um, thank you, Kyle. And sorry I'm not there at the uh, ATL to uh, say hi to you. Uh, but... Um, I'm having fun here with my good friends, my best friends uh, on the show here up in uh, Lake Burton. Being abused by his best friends. Being abused by my best friends, yes. Especially Liz. Okay. Now, where were we? Number four. Number four. Mm. Thank you. Yes. All right. Oh, uh, we have uh, some feedback from Sean. And... Let's see. Did he say anything? He just uh, kind of uh, sent a link to uh, some video. It's a very amusing video, and it was an incident that occurred. I don't remember where, but let's play the video, and then uh, we'll all know where. And here we go. Video file. And I'm so professional. Here we go. Yeah, this is Terry Overcourt. I just got a call that an airplane just crashed into one of the buildings out at the airport. It is. Have you gotten a call yet? Mm-mm, not one. Okay. Yeah, I understand it. The airplane ran over a building, hit a pickup. Of course, County Police Department. Hey, do we know this plane was flying and hit or when it landed, or was it taxiing in and out? Parks and Recreation is who called me, Terry. So I, he don't. He just said somebody had called him. So I don't know. Well, them some bitches need to start calling the damn police department. Quit calling Terry. You think they would, but. <laughs> hey. What's going on? Uh, uh, what's happening here? Uh, gentleman in the blue and the yellow's gonna be your pilot. What happened? Uh, they said the brake went out. They were trying to come down here, spin around. So the brake went out. They come through here. Hold on one, one second. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's what I'm getting the story now. Okay. Okay. We'll do. Bye. Sorry, sorry. I gotta check my Twitter. <laughs> I right. love the train in oh, the Oh, wait background. a minute. Oh, I didn't mean to mute the thing. Sorry. What was going that's, on here? That's why he was telling me the trooper was coming and... Okay, so what ha- what happened? I, what happened? Did I jump ahead? Oh, shoot. Okay, hang on. I don't know what happened there. Uh, it was a misfire. That's so embarrassing. Okay. Here we go. Sorry. Yeah. 
come down, try to spin around. Okay. And they couldn't get it to reverse by the, the propeller, so they started coming this way, and the, the right brake went out, the left grabbed, and it shoved, they were oh. trying to shove it down, and it turned left into that. But not only did they hit the building, they hit the pickup. Mr. With me in pickup. it, and my dog. Oh, you were in there? Yeah, yeah I fixed dog. it. I just put the <laughs> sun shades up to okay. the dog. Luckily, they were in it, because <laughs> you know, the propeller might have just integrated it. Nearly Is this us. how these people really speak? Yes, yes. they've put that on. No, that's how they. You, that's the accent. So did you 100%. like throw it and drive or anything? Texas. Get out of the way, no, like after it. Oh, okay. I mean, I heard it coming, and I looked in the side. Brand new truck. Brand, brand new. Down, down there, trying to make the truck. And uh, I look in the side. Brand new truck. What the hell is going on? Yeah. And I see the nose of the King Air hauling ass, and I'm sitting there. Of course, you got to brake and drive. In instant, I'm trying to jam it in the drive to get the hell out of the way. Well, then all hell breaks loose, and they just slap me from behind and push it that far. Okay. Do you I have like being slapped from behind. It's in the truck. Okay. How <laughs> you got no license? In this context. He's on probation. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward to uh, four and a half. Let's talk to some pilots, see what they have to say about this. All right, I think it's about four thirty. All right. Which one's Forrest Gump? Hey, quit making the one that's fun running. of our accents. I love these accents. Okay, hang on. Here we go. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> what happened? Just break 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 one out we were trying to turn it around with using differential power and okay. it started turning down this way so we went ahead and let it turn i was gonna try to go to the end okay and make it so i was backing that right engine up trying to get it to to, to clear and it just kept easing to the left until the wing caught and when the wing caught it just spun it gotcha <sighs> got an id on you that i could use is there anybody else in there you yeah, have the right to remain silent <laughs> <laughs> this guy sounds so thrilled to be doing his job right now. Like, where's, where's Daisy right. Duke? You got an idea I can look at? Yeah. So I, I want to have... see Daisy. And where's Boss Hog? Oh, come on. Come on. That's so. That's just stereotypical, so condescending, American. And, and, uh, <laughs> and racist, I'd say. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I was going to say, uh, I have questions. Okay. Yes, um, I, have, I have a lot of questions. Yeah, so but go ahead. So this King Air. Uh-huh. So if you're if you're listening to the audio only, uh, the video uh, will be in the show notes. You can watch it yourself. But you know, it's got a row of uh, these um, these hangers. And, you know, not a lot of room, but there's enough room for a King Air to to go through the middle. Maybe not with a lot of clearance on the wing tips. But uh, so he's talking about the fact that he's uh, having trouble controlling the airplane and he's using differential thrust slash, I guess, what, reverse uh, propeller beta or whatever um, to, to keep the thing steering uh, straight down. And oh, he said he, the right brake went out. So, Steph, I think you're probably the best person to ask this question. I don't know. I know you don't have experience with the uh, King Air 350, King Air, yeah. but I did my own research to because my question was, does not the airplane, like a King Air 350, have nose wheel steering? It does, as far okay. as I know. Yes. Okay. So, based on that, so I taxi my airplanes, my air carrier transport category airplanes, around all over the place with just one engine. 
and mm-hmm. I use um, my nose wheel steering to keep the airplane on the center line of the taxiway or pretty close to it. Um, and uh, I, I don't go drifting one direction or another based on only having one engine running or maybe one brake uh, out. So I would think, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I'm thinking that even if your right brake went completely out and you only had the left brake, if you had nose wheel steering, it seems to me you would still be able to keep it going straight enough that you wouldn't hit the left wingtip uh, on the hanger uh, to your left. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, so here it sounds to me like they actually knew about the brake problem that they, or at least suspected brake problem, before they even turned down that row of mm-hmm. hangers. Isn't that what it sounded like to I don't, you? I, it's hard to, to really know. Vaguely, for sure, yeah, maybe. I'm not yeah. certain. But yeah. if if I had that issue and I wasn't certain that um, if I was going to apply the brakes, that when I did so, it was going to cause one side to brake and the other not, so you would get a turning moment potentially mm-hmm. um i don't think i'd go down a narrow passageway i think i would probably shut down the engines and get it towed um uh where's the fun in that <laughs> i'm just you know um but you know it doesn't I, i'm just trying to figure out how they weren't able to maintain directional control even with a brake out um with nose wheel steering um I'm not. I'm not sure. Or how about this? Like, of... like, let's say you don't have any nose wheel steering authority. Well, so that's the other thing. Was it actually a nose wheel steering problem? Did they have like the bungee and um, clip mechanism? Oh yeah, the bungee and clip me- mechanism, or whatever it's called. Uh, it's the it's the steering bungee. Yeah. Oh. Um, you think that might have been not working? Well, that's either? something that can can break or fail. So. Okay. And then you wouldn't have steering control. Well, let's say like it's, it's like not going where you're expecting it to go. Let's say mm-hmm. let's just put like full left brake on, uh, even if your right brake's not working. What's the worst thing it's going to do? It's just going to kind of like spin around to the left in place, right? And not go down that space between the two hangers, right? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I just don't know um, enough about yeah, this. Yeah, I'm not. Airplane. I'd have to see the whole uh, trajectory of how they they move things, but. At any rate, it seems like perhaps they were trying to, um, I wasn't sure what all he was trying to do with differential thrust. That makes some sense to me. But if you have a brake problem, just stop and don't yeah. continue moving. Like shut the engines off. Shut the engines off. Yeah. That That's what I would idea. do. <laughs> or it, obviously, if it's not going where you want it to go for whatever reason, if you right. suspect it's a brake problem or if it's a nose wheel steering problem or anything else that would cause lack of control of steering on the ground, I would probably shut things down and well, as the uh, inspected. As the police officer uh, said, and let me oh, quote the police. them some bitches need to start stop calling the damn police department and uh, <laughs> quit calling call Terry. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> they need to start calling the damn police department, quit calling Terry. You think I thought that was great. That was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm you? just glad. I'm just glad that the the guy with his dog is okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I, it's, I'm. It's sad that, that the dog guy presumably with the bra- was in the, the back would, of his truck. I would. The brand new uh, pickup truck. Yeah. yeah. I know. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So well, you get power to idle, right? So you don't have a lot of forward movement, and then shut things down, and then 
continue moving in a straight line as much as possible using the well, braking that you have and the steering available. At the very to. least. Would that not make sense? <laughs> uh, Mike has, Mike has got a good the, question. When the brakes break. <laughs> the brakes done break. <laughs> uh, I just want to uh, at least say yeah. thank you, Sean McHale, for, for sending in this feedback. <laughs> Jim. Oh yeah, I, I this was a I, I would, I, I was giggling all the way through that <laughs> for no yeah. other reason than I've never heard people speak like that before. Yeah, he needs. To oh, you should come spend a day in the office with me. Oh. You'll hear. What did you say, Liz? He accent. needs to listen, listen to, to, to that show, Lone Star Law. <laughs> Lone Star Law. Yeah, a this Texas was in Ra- Texas Game Warden. Ke- Texas Game Warden. That's one of Liz's favorite shows. No lie. Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post-show edit. Lucky you. Enjoy. The uh, This was Corsicana, Texas. Where, I'm not sure exactly where Corsicana. You're not southeast of Dallas. No, southeast of Dallas. Thank County. you, Liz. Okay. Well, Sean, thank you for that treat, that gem. And uh, let's move on. I'm sure we have more gems awaiting us. Uh, this is feedback from Stephen. Uh, hello, Jeff and crew. I enjoyed hearing your comments on the citation jet that overran the runway, especially the macaroni and cheese comments. Is he talking about the Funyuns effect? Funyuns, yeah. yeah. That was the, that was the early Funyun. Okay. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned that on any of our accidents today, that it was oh, obviously shoot. the Funyun effect. Yeah. Okay. We need to be better about that. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, right. So when your okay. brakes yeah. fail and you overdo it with the differential thrust and you don't know how to use your nose wheel yeah, steering. Absolutely. And the dog's in the pickup truck. Funyun effect. And the dog in the pickup truck. The dog. It was a brand new pickup truck. Brand new. Yeah. Brand new. Anyway, uh, one thing I forgot to mention in the feedback, <laughs> there, was, there was another Citation jet that landed just a couple of minutes before the accident aircraft, and that pilot chose to land on runway 31, which was the opposite direction. Also, you mentioned one three is the only runway with an EMAS at the end because it's the only runway with a significant drop-off into a river just 500 feet from the runway end. As I'm writing this... The EMAS is not is no damned unserviceable. Therefore, your southern I de- accent is I de- <laughs> shut up. Therefore, it's better than yours. Therefore, I declare that not all. I declare that not all the no dems are garbage. They're just a bunch of garbage. Thanks for keeping us aspiring pilots informed and entertained. That's from Stephen Hooper in Hazard, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> is he a duke of hazard yeah so um okay i'm sorry i shouldn't is he, have. Is he the one with the dam yes it's his in las vegas you mean Outside yeah of las oh, the vegas? hoover dam yeah yeah that, is that, is that your that, damn Stephen steven dam hoover <laughs> damn, damn steven damn steven hoover hoover uh Anyway, so let me I think see. We're alienating some some people. Here. I I love the southern accent, and I have to admit to you, uh, living up here in the northeast corner of Georgia, I and I, I don't I don't really try. I don't. It just happens when I'm talking to people up here, and they have a thick accent. I start, start talking with an accent in yourself, and you. Go, no, oh, I I actually start using an accent, and I'm and I think it's. I don't think they think. What is he doing? He he doesn't. He's not a southerner. He doesn't. That's a fake southerner. No, I think people buy it. 
And I'm, so I don't, I'm I have not an interesting doing it on story, purpose. An interesting story from today about that. Okay. Um, and it does happen frequently from patients. Patients always want to know where I'm from because, oh my gosh, you talk so fast and we can't identify your accent because it doesn't seem to be a local one. Um, except for today, I had a nice older Southern gentleman and we were having a very polite conversation and all of a sudden he goes, oh, well, where, where were you from originally? Like, where were you born? And I was like, okay, that's actually a... a Valid question. He's trying to, like I said, he was trying to figure out my accent. I said, well, you know, Chicago area, but haven't lived there in a long time. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, really? He's like, I don't hear that at all. He's like, I thought you were from the deep south somewhere, like, like Mississippi mm. or Alabama. And I'm like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? I was like, you, sir, what? are the first person to have that as a guess for my origins, but that is not correct. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. He also had. I'm not sure how good his hearing actually was. Oh, um, he was okay. getting up there in years a little bit. But he was probably did. wearing uh, a Texican uh, hearing aid. He had like the like Texican. just like a you know. Yep. Did, did you mm -hmm. see Neil's suggestion here? No, Neil says I vote for the whole of show 500 to be done in that accent. <laughs> Nick can do <laughs> Terry Thomas. <laughs> okay. I'm not familiar with Terry. Thomas. I don't know who Terry Thomas is. Oh, uh, a very English mustachioed actor. Actor. Does he have a Medium southern accent? Okay. <laughs> You've got a very English accent. Ah, okay. An Englishman with so a southern let's accent. Let's just do the 500 be... show with accents for the whole Perfect. thing. Perfect. Okay. I'm yeah. going to have a Canadian accent. And 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 Liz says she's going to have a Canadian accent. You got to you got to kind of really tweak it. Uh, to be more Canadian because your accent, okay. Liz, is not really that Canadian. I, I mean, I hate to, I hate to tell you that it's kind of sit only every only every once in a while I hear something. Yeah, occasionally you'll hear something pronounced a certain way, and you go, "Oh yeah, that's Canadian." But uh, but no, honestly, I don't really do it on purpose. But I think when I start hearing other people talking in a certain way, I start talking that way too. And I kind of feel bad for it. It almost feels like cultural appropriation. I know it's not the same thing as cultural. Well, I guess it is. Southern culture. That's a culture, right? Appalachian. You sure, it's you sure it's not your um, you know your body instinct to um, fit in by copying people's gestures. So you know, it might be. sympathetic body gestures, sympathetic accent. It might be. I, I think that's probably accurate. You want to be loved. I want to be loved. Liz says, "I do. Yeah, I want to be loved." Well, you're in I good company because be I, I definitely noticed that happens to me. But I always blamed it on the fact that I've lived so many places. I'm just confused at this point. I don't know how I should speak. Well, if you're watching the show, you're confused right off the bat. <laughs> well, we already knew that. Yeah. Um, Sorry, dear listeners. Yes, we, we do apologize. Okay, moving on here. Number okay, Liz, we'll move on. Shoot. Yeah, we're crank having the fun. whip, Liz, all this rambling. Um, okay, back to this uh, feedback sent in by Stephen Hoover. The damn Stephen Hoover. Um <laughs> So, uh, let's see, a, a Citation Jet landed a couple of minutes before, chose to rent, land on runway 31. As you mentioned, 13 is the only run with an EMAS at the end. Um, yeah, good point. The EMAS, I guess, is at the end of that runway because uh, there's a big drop-off uh, after the EMAS 500 feet uh, into a river. Um, 
And then he says, as I'm writing this, the EMAS is no damn unserviceable. And I think I think what he's meaning is that after the accident, of course, they used the EMAS and the EMAS is now unserviceable until they fix it. Um, I don't think that he means that it was no damn unserviceable before the accident. But I agree. Yeah, no dems aren't all garbage. Just most of them. You know what? You know what no dems are? Uh, no dems are... <laughs> Sorry, I tried something. to lead into that. <laughs> Would you send me a, a, like a text or something and say, Jeff, line up the sound clip. I thought maybe you would have it ready to go. Since well, I do. It's right here. Tabs. That's what NODAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage See? that nobody pays any attention to. Right. Mm-hmm. So why accent that then? I don't know. That's what NODAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to. It does sound American. a little southern, but like mid Atlantic southern, probably. Yeah, not not like deep south Virginia. Like, yeah, maybe. Not sure. I, I'm curious. Oh. Do you guys know how you repair EMAS? Uh, do they just pour it like like? That's a good question. I have no idea. I don't. I think they're like in almost like, like individual, individual concrete blocks. blocks, but they're like not your normal concrete block that you get at Home Depot, the Home Depot or Lowe's. Yeah, that, that um, would kind of make you, a mess uh, if you had the carriage. Um, yeah, they don't they don't collapse when you like get that Ace weight. Hardware? Yeah, Ace Hardware. No, you can't find them at Ace Hardware either, Liz. <laughs> what is that noise I hear in the background, Liz? It's That's like my a, dog. sounds That's like my a dog. it sounds like a clown. That's my dog. That's your dog. Chew Play toy. toy yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. EMAS must be designed for repair to a usable condition within 45 days of an overrun by the design aircraft at the design entrance speed. Wow, it's amazing you know this. Let's just like right off the, the top of your EMAS head. EMAS bed that is damaged due to an incident must be repaired. Oh, okay, that's just the same thing. Uh, uh, <laughs> that never happens. Material. To me. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a lot of technical garbage here. Garbage. Um, must be water resistant, must not attract venom, birds, wildlife, or other creatures. Vermin, I venom. think. Venom. 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 Vermin. I'm sorry, vermin. vermin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure exactly how this venom is, is going to affect. <laughs> I know, I meant to say vermin, and I just, I didn't. Um, I promise I can read. Yeah, most but of you the time. didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Failed. <laughs> I haven't even really been drinking. It's terrible. Um, you should. I would be. I'd probably be better at reading if I had <laughs> drank a little bit more. It had, needs to be non-flammable, not promote combustion. I feel like that's the same thing. Not emit <laughs> it, it, toxic, it <laughs> toxic or malodorous fumes in a fire environment Malordi- after. Ooh. Malodorous. 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 Yeah. Not support unintended plant growth <laughs> with proper application. <laughs> if it's hanging around <laughs> for a while, be, you don't want the plants to grow on it. Exhibit constant strength and density characteristics during all uh, climate <laughs> conditions within a temperature range appropriate for the locale. Must be resistant to deterioration due to salt. Um, approved uh, aircraft and runway de-icing and anti-icing fluids and solids. Aircraft fuels, hydraulic fluids, fluids, lubricating oils, UV resistant, water resistant, freeze thaw resistant, blowing sand and snow resistant, paint resistant, herbicide resistant. Uh, Nick, did, did Does anybody that help us ask, know what it's did made of? Anybody ask Steph to elaborate on the EMS <laughs> construction did, or don't do whatever? That again. Well, yeah. I'm assuming somebody's in control of her. I don't know. No, not, <laughs> not me. Maybe. Nobody's in control of her. You asked what they were, well, you were asking how they were repaired. So that's really what I was looking for. Yeah, but well, we did. I found all this we, other I'm not sure we got that answer. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I can say well, that it, I, it was under the subsection of repair, and then it didn't actually say anything about repair other than it must uh, be done so within a, 45 that's a, days. That's a website fail right there. Now, Eric yes. in Norway. This is from the FAA, so are you surprised? <laughs> no, I am not okay. surprised. No, I love the FAA. They're great people. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll say that <laughs> consistently until about uh, December of 2023. Um, Zumalt, the uh, person uh, quoted in the Notams are just a bunch of garbage, is from South. Kagalecki, Kagalecki. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, sir. Eric, you I love you. Tells you how well I, I can recognize the accent. Plain tail Max. Plain tail Max. So that's what Kakalecki sounds like, right? Now I know. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, Steph is not a good representation of that accent. No, I, I am not. Not. No. Okay. Control room is telling me that I should go to Plain Tale, the uh, this week's installment of the old pilot's Plain Tales, and this one. I haven't listened to yet, and I'm looking forward to it. And it's called, or entitled, The Sensory Pilot. Not the senseless or sense-filled, but sensory pilot. And take it away, old pilot. The old pilot's plain tales. The sensory pilot. The world of a pilot is different to any other. They see things from a different perspective and view the world from places that even the mightiest birds cannot reach. All their faculties of sight, smell, taste, touch and hearing experience sensations unique to their position, whether they're manoeuvring a mighty airliner or sliding through the air on sheets of silk in a slippery sailplane. When they get the chance, even the most professional and conscientious pilots will take a moment to marvel at their world. These are treasured moments that they will lock in their hearts and only bring out in quiet moments of contemplation. Perhaps when they look back and realize what a life of wonder they have led. The crew and I have put together some of our most precious memories, but I'm sure you'll have some of your own. I always love the comforting sounds of the gear coming up as huge hydraulic jacks powered up, releasing the downlocks and then heaving the tons of gleaming metal upwards towards the aircraft's belly. Each component was compressed, shrinking down as the huge mass whirred, bumped and lumped into place, especially the nose gear just behind us, that we could feel thump into its bay with a grind of the rubbing strip gently slowing the wheels to a stop. And as it all finished, the doors would slip back into place, sealing off the gaping caverns that housed it all, and the cacophony would subside, to be replaced by the quiet whisper of the airflow, smooth again. 
So familiar were we with that cadence that a disruption in the flow of noise would immediately bring a glance across the flight deck with a wrinkle of the brow and a question on the lips well before the clang of an alarm confirmed our concerns. The urgent clanging of alarms as a failure is detected and displayed brings dramatic changes from relaxed to alert as a surge of adrenaline heightens all our senses and slows time to a crawl. The noise triggers a Pavlovian response that, in retrospect, will be described as our training kicking in. As we start a well-practiced performance of calls and actions that we've rarely had to do for real. After all is dealt with, the come down, the extra fatigue, the nervous laughs and hesitant smiles from the rest of the crew as everyone looks for reassurance. Aviation has its own special larder of odours and smells that register in the olfactory bulb, which is a part of the limbic system of the brain. The limbic system, or paleomammalian cortex if you prefer, is involved in lower order emotional processing of input from sensory systems. As such, they're closely associated with emotion, motivation, learning and memory and can evoke a strong response in our bodies, being a primary evolutionary sense. Put another way, a smell can evoke long-forgotten memories and intense emotions. Like the cold sharpness of pure oxygen, which could, in an instant, transport me back into the cockpit of a phantom. Pass a whiff of burnt rubber past a pilot's nose and you will send them to the side of a runway, when, with a screech of tyres and a cloud of blue smoke, 16 main wheels of a 747 go from stationary to 170 miles an hour in a second. Other smells are less common but stick in the memory. The distinct smell of cordite in the cockpit was common to both the Hawker Hunter and the Hornet, as the smoke from firing the cannon would often pass into the intakes and via the pressurization system into the cockpit, where a whiff would be sucked into the air and oxygen mix of the regulator. Funnily enough, after the first couple of sniffs, it would disappear, as if the body ignored it from then on. Less dramatic was the smell of newly mown grass and fresh air on a gliding field. The opposite odour to that of 300 human bodies crammed together in an aluminium tube with a mix of stale perspiration, babies' nappies, digestive gases that are forced from both ends of the alimentary canal, airline food, vomit and every other foul-smelling thing a body can produce from rotten teeth to cheesy feet. There's plenty to feel on an aircraft, and the sense of touch can bring a mix of pleasure and pain. The smoothness of a well-formed grip on the big levers that can summon such immense power, it pushes hard on the chest. 
the pleasingly precise click of good switches and the frown of displeasure that sloppy worn ones bring. A simple button press, a lever sliding out of a gate, the instant feeling of response when a gentle input brings an expected burble of air brakes, the tick down on the rate of descent needle and quiver of the airspeed indicator. The annoyed exclamation when, yet again, a balding head draws blood as it scrapes the overhead panel, despite having such an intimate knowledge of the workplace, no end of practice makes perfect. RAF flying gloves were the ultimate feel-good factor. Crafted from fine calf leather, they fitted like, well, like a glove. Pure white, they were soon stained by the sweaty work of flying a fighter, and the fingertips worn down, but they protected the hands from cuts and grazes and worst, should fire be a factor. In cold weather, the silk inner gloves were available, a double layer of slippery fabric as fine as the silk lingerie of the fifties. In contrast, the dreaded immersion flying suit was uncomfortable and hot, made from a fabric the fibres of which would swell in contact with the water, making the suit waterproof. It had black rubber cuffs and a neck seal that cut into the skin, so liberal amounts of talcum powder were required to aid donning, leaving one's hair impregnated and looking like a powder-dusted wig. Perhaps our most precious sense is that of sight, and it's often the one that creates much astonishment. When we were new to the job, the sight of the enormous machines we were about to take into the air left us with a feeling of wonderment, such awed admiration of those who built these intricate mechanical marvels that we would take aloft and use to cover vast distances. In them we circled the globe. Vistas would unfold before our eyes that took our breath away. The vast golden red of the Sahara Desert, the snowy white mass of the Siberian tundra, the creeping wrinkled glacial rivers of ice in Greenland, the swirling icebergs of the Atlantic, the vast ranges of jagged-toothed mountains in the Himalayas, the empty plains of Mongolia, and these were just the sights below us. Clouds provided a never-ending display of natural architecture, from the little streeting cumulus, like a neighborhood of perfect dream homes, painted brilliant white and surrounded by little picket fences, to towering skyscrapers, each with its own radical design, but topped off with a huge penthouse that stretched away into the distance. And all clouds were common. Some lie at heights unachievable for everyday pilots, up in the mesosphere, some 50 miles above the Earth's surface. These noctilucent ice layers are night-shining clouds that only occur at high latitudes during astronomical twilight. They shimmer in gentle folds, impossibly high, 
and somehow exist in a place where there is very little moisture, one hundredth of a millionth of the water vapor that exists above the Sahara Desert. To see them is a rare privilege, but there are more common atmospheric tricks up Mother Nature's sleeve that more of us witness. Water in the atmosphere has a lovely trick of refracting light, which our ground-bound brethren see as rainbows arching down to a pot of gold. But those lucky enough to catch sight of them from above will see a perfect circle of colour, in the centre of which is the faint shadow of one's aircraft. Should one be fortunate, a beautiful circular rainbow might be coupled with a glory, a series of concentric rings of light which become successively dimmer, often coloured red on the outside, fading to blue in the centre. Named Buddha's halo by some, and termed the glory of pilots by others, two glories appear on the great seal of the United States. At other times, our own clouds that gush from the engines will catch the sun at the right angle, revealing a sight we can never see ourselves. Only someone lucky enough to be behind us will be able to marvel at the beauty of its refracted colours. As the sun drops below the earth's rim, a shadow can be cast through the air that reminds us the sun is done with us and nightfall is coming. Sometimes the moon will lie on it like a gleaming ball rolling down the beautiful curved slope. Sunsets are hardly special to pilots, we can all see those colours blossom upon the horizon as if a million scarlet blooms have ignited. But should you see a special one from the cockpit of a fighter, then light the afterburners and race up into the heavens, challenging the laws of the universe and you can watch it all over again. The sensory pilot's taste usually only stretches to their choice of aircraft utilitarian, modern and sleek, warbird, vintage wooden canvas, and a commercial pilot has more to worry about when looking for employment than just what aircraft they're likely to fly. When flying for gain, a professional pilot is expected to turn their hand to any type, but that doesn't mean that they don't develop a fondness for the machines they work with, be it Boeing, Airbus, Bombardier or Embraer, as we know, the big two have swallowed the others. I wonder how that tasted. About the most important taste to a pilot, at least to this one, is that of the cold beer one deserves after a long day in the air. It stands, bubbles gently rising to the head as the sides of the glass frost over with condensation. The taste is amplified by the weight until at the perfect moment one catches a glance and a cheers from the others and with eyes half closed we let the flavours burst and the amber nectar slip down a dry throat. With a gentle sigh the tension of the day slips away. The crew had some of their own thoughts and in no particular order. Everyone loves to watch themselves fly, so 
Flying amongst the canyons and cliffs of clouds has an extra thrill when catching sight of your own shadow nearly merging with your wingtip. It's the same descending into a cloud bank when it seems that you are becoming one with your silhouette. Not many of us throw people out of our aircraft, but it can be a true thrill when it's a wingsuiter who momentarily form mates on the aircraft until they drop out of sight. Jump pilots experience some unique smells. Flying with the doors open means all the flavours of the world beneath can be experienced in a heady mix, wood burning in a backyard, grilling meat, flowers, crops, industry, a sweet sour mix of the world. Even each aircraft has its own particular smell of human and machine ground into its fabric over the years. When you're flying well, you feel completely in tune with the machine, where to reach without looking, what every control feels like, how far to trim, where to set the throttle, it becomes instinctive. There are so many sounds, the squeals of excitement, joy and terror from new jumpers, the tears from those not confident enough to take that last step. There are unmistakable calls and every jumper recognises the shout of DOOR! When jumping, all the flurry of activity, the checking and double-checking is over, and once under the canopy there's a wonderful quiet with just a backdrop of fluttering material as the slider comes down the lines. Whilst back in the aircraft there's so much radio work the transmit button leaves the index finger numb. Loud and obnoxious, unending chatter from everywhere, all around. Whereas suspended in space, a dot beneath a fabric wing seemingly suspended over the vast ground below all is peace, just the whooshing sensation, half felt, half heard, as the strings are pulled and the loading changes. The gentle whir of the electric gyro in the standby horizon and the muffled sound of random air traffic chatter that can be heard as you first set foot on the flight deck. The refreshing blasts of cold air from the punker louvres, accompanied by clouds of mist that emerge from the cockpit air conditioning in hot, humid countries as you leave the sweet smell of the tropics and move into the exclusive and rarefied air of your workplace. The welcome smell of coffee brewing up in the galley during the dark depths of the night. The unmistakable sound of atmospheric discharges from around the globe propagated by the ionosphere and other noises that have travelled millions of miles through space from the cosmos above that we hear on the long-range HF radios as we listen to our controllers only a few hundred miles away, followed by the distinctive chime of the cell call alert as the radio checks are done. At the end of a long transatlantic crossing, the sudden movement of the RDMI needles as they come into range of the first navates that they have detected, and they swing into action after hours of laying dormant. The sound of the slat drive motors 
as they crank out the leading edge flaps and the distinctive clacking of relays as the electrical buzzes split to protect the autopilot when we press the approach button as the end of another flight draws close. Finally, the comforting clack of the speed brake lever servo moving the handle aft as 16 main wheels gently touch down at our final destination. Wow. Just as good the second time around. Yes. I agree, Liz. That's the first time I heard it. <laughs> okay, her speaker is off now. Um, I just you know, gently wanted to how does you know she, that we uh, all How does Steph hear Liz. that from Liz? Oh, I know why. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Steph that, in a, sorry, Liz in a box. That's what we'll Liz in a box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. I mean, uh, that music is really so appropriate for this plain tale and just so poetically expressed by the old pilot. Thank you, sir. I I will definitely thank him next time I see him. Uh, <laughs> okay, it's very good. kind of you. <laughs> yes. I know you're very close to him. It, it's uh, it, sometimes a bit hard trying to put in words what we all feel because I know we all get these emotions when we're flying uh, it's something we all love very deeply and uh, I was just doing my best to you know um, express it uh, I hope I did it okay no lovely I, you know it's it, you asked us the, the question to contribute to that plain tale and on the surface it seems a very easy question to answer and then you start to think about things you go well, that's actually not easy at all. How do you put those things into to words? Because a lot of them are more feelings, emotions. Um, you know, certainly there's all the, you're asking about all the sensory input, but that's not entirely how your brain interprets it. You don't no, recognize the individual not. senses. You recognize just the, the, I don't know, like I said, the feelings and emotions, I think, more than anything. But and we, we all have our own different interpretation of, of what's beautiful and uh, what's memorable. So, uh, uh, and thanks very much indeed for giving me uh, your thoughts. So, yeah, great. Excellent. Wow. Uh, you know, you keep just outdoing yourself. I'm not sure. I know. I'm waiting for the it. one where he doesn't. We're like... <laughs> Eh, they go okay. okay let's move on to some more feedback <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, not gonna happen it's not possible i know it's not possible uh, we anyway. are so uh so fortunate to have uh, such a creative person like uh, captain nick so well actually oh. it is captain nick not like him but uh we have captain nick such a as very is what you're creative yes such as captain nick thank you sir just so beautiful right. thank you thank you mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Well, and before you go on, I do have to apologize again. I apologize for my tardiness and I apologize for my um, early excusal here as we well. We will not forgive. We will not I've been, forget. I've like been bad <laughs> <this> recently. <laughs> um, a certain someone has too many things on their plate these days and I need to uh, manage time better, but um, I'm going to work on that. That's my Well, my we're goal. just... Happy to have you uh, with us for a brief period of time. We do appreciate it. And um, we just um, envy those who are going to experience your presence. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Next. Oh, well, 
All the I best, Steffi. Loved. All right, you guys. I'll catch you next week. Jerry, bye. I love you. We'll do what I can uh, to be there for the entire show. That's we'll right. I, I'm not going to be there next week, so you better oh. pitch up. What? I'm only joking. Who gave, who gave <laughs> you the Who are you going to be? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> this is news. <laughs> I'm only joking. But uh, do bear in mind that I'm going on holiday uh, soon. Oh, and that's I'm right. definitely not uh, going to be there then. Okay. So that's possible. No worries. Yeah. I will definitely be there on those days when you are not there. I will pick up all the... Uh, the, okay, pick the, up the slack. Good, yes, good. yes. Well, I'm do a plane tail as well. I oh, might be there. Okay, I should time. start working on it yeah. now because it, otherwise we'll never get done. <laughs> Rats so. are leaving the All right. All right. Good night, everyone. I'll bye see bye you next stuff. week. Take care of you. Cheers. Stuff. Cheers. Bye bye. All right. Old pilot. It's just the old men again. <laughs> yeah, here we are, the old geezers. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll need to change yeah. the name of the show, I think, at some point. Um, the picture I sent you in the crew log. Um, the picture of the old guys in the crew log. What? Crew, the crew. The crew chat. Crew oh, chat. okay. Let me see if just, I can just go back a bit. Oh, okay, bit. okay. Um, hang on. Liz wants me to show uh, this picture, uh, which looks uh, suspiciously similar to what you're seeing on screen at this moment. And here we. Where is it? Oh, come on. It's right here somewhere. Oh, I know I can't do this. i got to open it up and preview. Okay, hang on. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, now, here we go. <laughs> Let's see, how do we do this? Uh, 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 actually, that that's very lifelike. Uh, yeah. It is very lifelike. Particularly you and your uh, moustache. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And then you with your thumbs down. That's appropriate. You yeah, absolutely, kind of yes. There, uh, I seem to have had a shave, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, and I have, I, I normally have bags under my eyes, but not quite like that. But uh, oh, just give me a I few years. I've developed a mono brow. <laughs> it's a very attractive one. I don't have any brow at, at all, apparently. That's true. Um, <laughs> Never and, noticed that before. <laughs> yeah, well, don't look too closely, please. All right, uh, let's uh, move on number with number six. And uh, let's see, here we go. Oh, this is from Tyler. And uh, he sent us some audio feedback. It's a, let me read what he says first. Liz and Captain Jeff, I've been a longtime listener of APG and would like to submit some audio feedback regarding an incident that was discussed on the podcast a few years ago. My feedback pertains to the Eva Air 15 near-miss incident that occurred in 2016 outside of Los Angeles International. Do you want the overlay up before the audio? Uh, the, to set the context? Uh, no, let's, let's wait on that. Okay. 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 Yep. I discussed the incident but also focus on some of the contextual issues with ATC audio that is often posted on YouTube. My analysis is based on the NTSB's factual report interview report, and other published investigation documents. All these sources are publicly available by searching the NTSB's accident database, and I can always send them if you want to read more into it. Please listen, and if you think my assessment is incorrect, insufficient, or differs from your view, let me know. I am always willing to take a second look. Uh, though I can't confirm it, I saw some online comments from other controllers that said the incident controller was not fired over the incident. She was, however, given additional training and ultimately moved. What, what do you do with a person like this? Well, you move them in, in, into management, <laughs> moved into an, an administrative position. She is no longer working as a line controller. Um, 
Let's see. Tyler says, just a little bit about me. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I'm a supervisor with the public safety department at Ohio State University. While I don't have my pilot's license, learning about aviation and air accidents has been an obsessive hobby of mine for many years. Captain Jeff, I know KCMH, Columbus, Ohio, Port Columbus, I think they call it, is one of the places you often visit. So if you're in town and do a meetup, I'd love to join. (coughs) Excuse me. I live in the short north near the downtown. Yep, been there many, many times. A very cool place. A few blocks from where the flight crews often stay. There are a ton of great restaurants with good beer nearby. Thanks for your time and appreciate your work. You and the APG crew do. Thanks, Tyler. Yes, Tyler, thank you uh, very much. As we're going to hear in his uh, audio feedback, um, did a lot of work with this and uh, a lot of uh, a good production value in this audio feedback. And uh, yeah, if I'm back in Columbus, Ohio, and there are a few people, longtime APG community members like um, Jen Niffer and James uh, that live in the area, and I'm sure there are a lot more. Uh, so yeah, I can't wait to do another meet up in the Columbus area and I can't wait to meet you. So without further ado, let's listen to Tyler and his audio feedback. Hi, APG crew. I'd like for a few minutes to discuss an incident that occurred a few years ago outside of Los Angeles. On December 16, 2016, EVA Air Flight 15, a Boeing 777-300, was departing Los Angeles Airport bound for Taiwan when it narrowly missed hitting Mount Wilson. Departure EVA 01 for a heavy climbing passing 1,900 for 5,000. Hello EVA 015, heavy Sakata Pipe, radar contact time maintain 7,000, flight in 090. In their final report, the NTSB faulted the air traffic controller for mistakenly turning the aircraft in the wrong direction. Front turn right, right turn heading 180. Copy right heading 180, EVA 015, heavy. Heavy expedite your right turn. EVA 015 Heavy, Roger, Cooper passing, heading 010, continue, right turn heading. Instead of heading out to sea, EVA Air 15 was placed on a direct course for the 5,700-foot-high Mount Wilson. And while no crash or loss of life occurred, the aircraft only cleared the mountaintop by about 500 feet. EVA 015 Heavy, stop your climb. Stop climbing, EVA 015 Heavy. EVA 015 Heavy, what are you doing? Turn southbound now, southbound now. Stop your climb. Confirm, EVA 015 Heavy, maintain 5,000, left, right, uh, right heading. Roger, EVA 015 Heavy, confirm the heading. Captain, EVA 015 Heavy, turn southbound, southbound now. Roger, turn southbound now, EVA 015 Heavy. At the time, APG discussed the incident, noting the Aviation Herald's article, as well as playing the ATC audio posted by Vass Aviation on YouTube. APG's assessment of the events was much more diplomatic compared to some of the armchair aviation experts in the comments section below the Vass Aviation video. What a bad controller. Man, I hope she was fired for this, were some of the top comments. Several comments even impugned her gender as the cause of the incident. This lady is in over her head. As I'm sure you guys can attest, these vitriolic comments are nothing new to the internet. Yet many of the details in the EVA Air incident have gone unreported, and I feel even the final NTSB report doesn't fully identify some of the bigger lessons learned. First, the incident controller was not new, nor was she inexperienced. 
She began her aviation career by serving her country as a controller in the U.S. Navy. At the time of the incident, she had nine years of experience as an FAA controller. She had worked in the towers at two different airports and had been a controller and designated training instructor at the Southern California TRACON since 2012. In interviews with the NTSB, her coworkers described her as a solid controller, fun to work with, and always in a good mood. But what went so wrong on December 16th for this experienced controller? The weather that day was not great. Moderate winds and rain forced LAX to depart to the east. This only occurs about 20 times per year. In the post-investigation interviews, many controllers mentioned that the eastbound flow was unusual and that most of them, including the incident controller, were not properly trained for such an event. That day, the controller was on overtime, working her normal eight-hour shift, followed by a second eight-hour shift later in the day. At the time of the incident, she had been at her position for over three hours without a break and was working double the normal amount of aircraft in that sector due to the weather. It's clear from the ATC tapes she had lost her cool and was in a stressed state. She used confusing phrases and was yelling into the microphone. Everybody in TRACON heard what was going on because she was talking loudly and using expletives between transmissions. A controller working nearby told the NTSB, in the end, she had given Eva Air 15 a wrong turn that nearly sent them into a mountain. American 2452, turn right heading 210. Right 210, American 2452. Right turn to southbound, continue climb 7000. Eva 015, heavy affirmative. Continue right turn and climb 7000 to heading 180. After the incident, SoCal TRACON's management submitted a mandatory occurrence report that downplayed the gravity of the situation. It was only after the incident was publicized that a thorough review was conducted. This was par for the course, according to several ATC administrators on SoCal TRACON's quality assurance team. Incident reports were routinely vague. Rarely was a controller evaluated or critiqued on their performance. One ATC manager told the NTSB that SoCal TRACON had a culture that accepted risk. He faulted the FAA management for not actively enforcing strict quality assurance standards. Following the incident, the controller immediately reviewed her tapes and radar returns, quickly realizing her mistake. From all accounts, she was completely devastated to learn she had nearly caused a fatal accident and even took several weeks of medical leave to cope with the trauma of her mistake. We must always remember the emotional toll such an event can take on the involved parties. So, in conclusion, the next time you listen to an audio recording of an air emergency or incident on YouTube, keep in mind that you may be hearing a skilled pilot or an experienced controller on the worst day of their professional careers, and that there is always more to the story than what we can see, hear, or read online. Factors such as stressful workload, fatigue, inadequate training, and a management team unwilling to change a poor safety culture are often not apparent until a proper review is conducted. Thank you for letting me discuss this. And if you'd like to learn more, I encourage you to go onto the NTSB's docket website. There you can read the interviews and final reports for many accidents. Their site is a great resource we can all learn from. 
Yes, so true. Thank you, Tyler. That was awesome. Um, and I think I, I, I might be wrong here, but I think the one radio transmission that the air traffic controller gave the instruction that she gave to Eva Air uh, right off the bat, um, which is what she was used to issuing, is a left turn to heading 180 because, you know, 90% of the time or more, you're going to be launching to the west uh, out over the ocean. And then a left turn to 180 is a standard call that you'll or uh, direction uh, that you'll receive from air traffic control. And that's exactly the instruction that she gave to Eva Air Flight 15 when they were departing to the east. And so, of course, what she meant to say was a right turn to heading 180 and the Eva Air Flight um just accepted the left turn to heading 180 without question. They did not, you know, query the controller to make sure that that's indeed what she wanted them to do. And it should have been something that they queried about because that would have been a 270 degree turn. If you're heading 090 initially, and then you may, you are told to fly left heading 180, which is what they started to do. Uh, that should have been something that, you know, Nick would agree. I'm sure that you go, Really, that's kind of an odd uh, way to turn south when we're heading to the east. Um, so that's what started this whole series of uh, of the of the holes of the Funyuns aligning. <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely, uh, here I got it in. Um, well done. And um, but uh, it's it's interesting to hear that you know that she was so devastated by the fact when she was reviewing the uh, the uh, the tapes after the fact that uh, she realized that you know what her her miss step in in issuing that instruction to a foreign air carrier may have or got or almost resulted in a major catastrophe and that just no matter how experienced you are and how good you are um, fatigue does play a factor and we are all humans and we all make mistakes. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Jeff. Well said. Um, of course, the uh, con- the air crew were unlikely to pick up on that mistake since they either probably weren't very familiar with LA or they certainly weren't familiar with LA departing in that direction. So they even less likely to uh, um, question a uh, a turn even if it was an odd one like a 270 on the south because perhaps they think all right this is the way they do it here so that we do a climbing 270 to get established uh you know to clear traffic or something perhaps this is the way they do it on the uh an easterly departure uh and of course yeah uh the uh, a an american pilot used to that would have probably gone you sure about that uh but no, the, the the guys flying from the Far East are much more likely to just accept a an instruction. And she, you listen to her, um, she's quite a strident speaker. Uh, she's not someone who would easily, you could easily just question one of her instructions because she actually sounds, um, certainly towards the latter part, when uh, her stress levels had risen considerably, uh, she sounds quite aggressive. So um, I don't think the Eva crew were going to say boo to a goose. Uh, 
because uh, they might get their heads bitten off. And and this is the double-edged sword of of fatigue, stress, and uh, and and not um, accepting, and not sitting back and and you know just for a moment and going, is there a reason why this isn't working? Uh, whatever, uh, you you don't allow yourself that. Um, ability and then because she's busy because uh you know a lot of traffic and uh and you're right uh she was programmed to uh depart almost every departure she'd ever controlled would have been uh, airborne turn left and you fly that kind of triangular pattern around long beach and then uh up towards uh seal beach or what mm-hmm. i'm trying to think of the name yeah yep, seal beach. and then then when you got enough height you uh you turn um, east and clear the uh, the mountains uh, around uh, LA. Uh, it's it's like they do it every day, and it's not like you follow a, a standard departure. It's all radar control. Uh, so, you know, you're relying on the controller to uh, put you in the right place at the right time. Uh, and everyone would have been a little bit unused to those those easterly departures out of LA. And she uh, she probably didn't even realize that she said turn left heading one eight zero. That was just probably something yeah. that was sub. Um, I don't know what the word is, but uh, yeah, subconscious. Yeah. Subconscious. Yeah. yeah. As Tyler said, uh, she went and reviewed the tapes, and then realized her mistake. So I think you're right. She she just had no clue up to that. Oh point. my gosh! I can't believe I said that. Yeah, and yeah. and she doesn't have the benefit of that big. Uh, line this we see on the map drawn there all she's got is uh is a blip amongst many others that's uh pardon me quietly creeping off in the wrong direction and unless you're really on top of your game it's going to take you quite a while to pick up on that and it was also clear in some of the for um transmissions that after the fact when she realized that this was causing a a problem the direction they were flying she continued to kind of be 180 degrees out she said you know you know turn north and then i mean turn south <laughs> it's like yeah she uh, and then that's one of the that's a that's a definite um threat right there because i'm sure that the uh foreign pilots were not expecting north and south east west they're thinking they're they're programmed to respond to degrees of heading you know, uh, three six zero one eight zero, not north and south. And I think that no, no, it, she was just reverting very to that. Rare. Yeah, yeah. It's very rare that you get given a a quadrant to fly. Yeah. So rather than uh, you know a, a compass description, you know the points of the compass, rather than a, an actual number of degrees, uh, mm-hmm. almost unheard of. So that probably would have thrown them a bit. Yeah. Now we being English speakers, that's not a problem because that's part of our, the way our brain analyzes data. And, but for somebody whose language is not English, that's not something that is probably that, you know, something that they're expecting to hear. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, as we show the, um, uh, the, uh, printout of the, of uh, the track, Thank you, Liz, uh, of the flight uh, when they were initially heading to the north there. Not only were they conflicting with other aircraft, but they were also heading directly toward that mountain range uh, and toward Mount Wilson, which is the highest point in uh, California, by the way, 5,713 feet. And uh, that would have been uh, that would have been a catastrophe. And they weren't they only cleared it by a couple of hundred feet, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. Great analysis. Thank you, um, Tyler, for yes, very, uh, that feedback. Um, very nuanced. Uh, there's a word I'm tr- just trying handed. to grab there. Uh, yeah. I was Even-handed, gonna... maybe, Liz? Yes, yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah. And we try to be that way. You know, th- thank you. That was a compliment that he gave us uh, regarding our analysis and the fact that we weren't quite as um, critical, um, unfairly critical as some of the people commenting uh, on the websites. Uh, but unfortunately, that you see that very often, especially on sites like Aviation Herald. And sadly, most of those comments come from people that uh, are not rated pilots uh, and um, they don't really know that much about aviation and sometimes they tend to be a little irrational in their expression of uh, their thoughts and their comments. Absolutely. Very black and white. The world's not like that. And that's why we, generally speaking, almost never uh, talk about some of the comments that we see in some of these incidents on sites like the Aviation Herald because it's just, um, yeah, we, we tend to be a little bit more nuanced and fair-handed, I believe. So Yeah, I've got only two hands, sorry. Well, yeah, uh, fair-handed, two-handed in, in my... Okay. Handed. Even-handed, right, yeah. So um, even-handed, Liz says, so one, two, that's even, that's an even number. Okay, great. Good. All right. Cool. Well, we have some more audio feedback, this from Chris... Um, something to do with his, oh, 13, uh, Nick, um, Chris, his aviation journey update. And let's hear what he has to say. Hi, Captain Jeff and crew. My name is Chris Dyers. I wrote in a feedback late last year, talking about my aviation career, working for a major airline, pursuing my private pilot ticket and subsequently running out of money before I could finish. With over 120 hours, I still don't have my private pilot ticket. The reason is because I had to switch instructors probably three or four times, each not knowing my abilities, wanting to go over all the maneuvers again. So here I sit still with no ticket. When I wrote in late last year, a gentleman by the name of Slav, who lives near me in southeast Michigan, the Detroit area, he wrote into Facebook in uh asked for my contact if information because he wanted to take me flying. So Liz wrote me an email and said, Chris, uh, this individual would like to contact you. He's interested in taking you for a flight. So a week ago Sunday, sometime in August, Slav and I were finally able to connect, and I met him out at the Oakland Troy Airport here in Michigan. And the airport code is Victor Lima Lima. It's got about a 3,500 long foot runway it's near uh oakland pontiac airport which is a little bit larger anyway i met up with slav and he had uh his aircraft from the flying club a rockwell commander 300 horsepower derated to 260 he said anyway we departed uh victor lima lima and we headed uh west towards my parents house and i texted him earlier that day and said we were going to fly over so we had about 40 miles to the west, had a hard time locating their house, but we finally found the area, flew over. They saw us, waved. However, I didn't see them. Uh, then we continued to Pontiac, where Slav wanted to practice an instrument approach. We knew that nine right, the main runway with the ILS was closed. However, there was no indication that the ILS was not working. 
So when we contacted uh, the tower, they said that the ILS was in-op. And uh, so we chose a uh, option for uh, the left runway, which did not have an ILS. Evidently, the in-op ILS was not uh, in the NOTAMs, Slav told me. And so I reminded him that uh, NOTAMs are just a bunch of garbage anyway. Anyway, so then we continued back to uh, Victor Lima Lima. Uh, he let me do all the radio work. He let me fly a little bit when we're uh, level at about 3,000 feet. So I didn't get to do a lot, but uh, it's much faster and powerful than the 172 I'm used to flying. So I just wanted to let you know that uh, telling you my story resulted in an individual here in Michigan offering me a ride. I'm very, very grateful to SLAV. Uh, SLAV volunteers for Wings of Mercy. It's an organization similar to uh, the other organization that takes uh, individuals to specialty care. Uh, he does that um, voluntarily. The aircraft we flew in was uh, an aircraft that's used for that uh, organization. And it's also part of his flying club. So we had a lot of fun. Hadn't flown in probably 10 years. So uh, it was a great time. I was very grateful to Slav. And I want to thank you folks for... Uh, reading my story then and so Slav could hear it and invite me to go flying. So thank you, Liz, and thank you, Jeff and crew. Have a great week. See ya. Awesome story. It's so nice to hear when our community gets together and uh, supports each other and uh, provides these kind of opportunities. And it's uh, just, you know, indicative of what a what an amazing um, aviation community uh, that supports us and uh, there's a uh, Rockwell Commander 112. I'm not sure if that was the exact model, but uh, when you were talking, um, uh, Chris, about uh, Slav's Rockwell Commander, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I know exactly what kind of airplane or what that looks like, but there it is, or something very similar to this. And uh, that is so cool that uh, that you guys got together. And uh, we were so happy that we, uh, Liz and I could uh, facilitate that. Yeah, good job, uh, Jeff and Liz. Uh, yeah, it's so nice to hear the community reaching out. I'm very impressed. Well done, guys. Yes. J Jeff, I think you have time to do number eight because we have the overlays and then number 16. Okay. Uh, Liz uh, is suggesting that we do number eight and then perhaps number 16 if we have time. And so let's uh, jump back here. Let me stop this screen sharing right there. Uh, let's uh, move over to this feedback from Jez and he says, hello, APG crew and fellow APG crew listeners. Uh, Jez here from Cambridgeshire in England. How'd I do? Okay. Cambridgeshire. Uh, yeah. Considering it's spelt Cambridgeshire. Yeah. That's what it really looks like. It should be pronounced as but, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, for, forgive me a little toilet humor. <laughs> Literally. But a fly on the wall told me about this article. This is from simpleflying.com. Simplemindedflying.com. Um, just kidding. It's just simple flying, not minded. Reducing costs is important for all airlines and airports, especially in the current environment. We have seen plenty of cost-cutting measures introduced over the years, but this old one from Amsterdam Schiphol has to be the uh, amongst the most surprising by adding an image of a fly to urinals, the airport estimates it has saved 8% in cleaning costs. 
For further reference, interested listeners can check out the pictures on urinal.urinal.net or urinal.net? Urinal. Urinal. Okay. Urinal. Yeah. Urinal. No. Urinal. Yes. Your anal. Really? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. We are, actually, here at the uh, APGU. (laughs) We try to uh, limit that as much as we can. Um, But, uh, yeah, so uh, this is a real website, uh, urinal.net. It uh, showcases the world's largest collection of urinal photographs ever assembled uh, you mean there are other collections of urinal photographs? Why did nobody tell worry. me? <laughs> Perhaps Captain Jeff can comment on the veracity of the uh, this link here, urinal.net slash Atlanta Airport. And I can. I have seen these urinals at the Atlanta Airport. Yes, uh, with the little um, little fly there. And uh, it's just a natural thing for uh, guys with a certain piece of... Um, Equipment, equipment to aim their stream at the fly because you it really looks like a real fly. You're thinking, oh, I'm going to knock that thing off. Yeah, it turns out it's not really a fly. But uh, yeah, so I can see that how that might uh, save some money. Splashback. Uh, yeah, splashback. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> show title, splashback. Um, <laughs> let's see. So I see a potential future plane tail in Captain Nick artwork. Stay sane, everybody, and stay focused, especially the gentlemen among us. And again, that's from Jez. And then he put us, uh, gave us a link to this article from uh, Simple Flying about the uh, urinal slash urinals. And uh, very interesting. Now, Nick has a, a little story. Absolutely. Yeah, Nick um, has a little story uh, regarding this, I believe. Well, I, I um, you know, in your travels around the world, you do see some fairly exotic uh, lose. Uh, and I thought once that I would kind of do a, uh, a picture book of, uh, you know, exotic toilets of the world. Uh, never got around to it, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it so wouldn't it be really... nice to be known for, oh yeah. Uh, Nick Anderson, you're the author oh, yeah. of, uh, urinals yeah. around the world of the world. Yeah, of the exactly. world. Yes. <laughs> so it kind of kicked off when uh, the Japanese started, um, inventing these incredibly complex and uh, strange um, toilets that uh, had jets of water and would blow dry you What's clean. What's strange and, about that? Uh, all that kind of stuff. And um, stop it. Uh, and uh, then I remembered, oh, yeah, the the, um, the top of the Peninsula Hotel, uh, which is one of the grandest hotels in Hong Kong, has a bar called Felix Bar. And uh, in there... Uh, they had some amazing toilets in the gents. Uh, the girls, we used to bring them into the gents just so they could <laughs> see it because they didn't believe us. Uh, and uh, they used to really upset because almost every hot, fancy toilet in Hong Kong has a little attendant there with a well, hand you towels and things. And oh, take a the old tip. bathroom attendant. Exactly. And he, he a little, a little bathroom used to get very <laughs> upset when about... 10 girls in their high heels would come <laughs> clattering into the gents 
Um, but uh, there they had a panoramic view of Hong Kong uh, with floor-to-ceiling uh, windows, <laughs> in front of which were balanced uh, quite small um, urinals so that as you had a Wii, you could um, gaze out over Hong Kong. Apparently, when they first did it, uh, they didn't actually have the little urinals. You actually peed up against the glass, and there was a oh, channel gosh. underneath which took the washed everything away. Um, but eventually, they decided that uh, it was uh, corroding the glass fittings Ew. too much so they <laughs> put put those little um little uh, they look quite uh, obsidian don't they they look quite dark mm -hmm. uh, little urinals but uh, behind you apart from the fancy lighting there was the most amazing um piece of artwork which was actually where you washed your hands afterwards mm -hmm. and it rose out of the ground like a huge uh natural rock with bowls and indentations and little and as you approached it it would sense you coming and water would start spouting out of little orifices and uh you know it was all there for you to wash your hands it was just remarkable it was very fancy lou uh apart, apart from and the ho the, the lift was something special because you got a special uh, express lift up to the felix bar and um uh it in the inside of the lift was kind of like womb i don't know what a womb looks like i don't remember <laughs> you don't remember back in those no, days <laughs> but uh it was kind of organic on the inside of the lift and the light changed uh and um as you rose up and then when eventually you came to a halt you stepped out into this weird corridor that was a bit like a spaceship it was just the most fantastic uh experience <laughs> and did you, when you came out of the womb did you go mom mama <laughs> mommy mommy <laughs> mommy oh, i want to do that again why are you slapping yeah. me <laughs> it was good but, but the uh, you had to, we only went there in happier because ah. i'm not kidding the beer was expensive oh, so uh no crew if discount you got two for one now <laughs> if you got two for one you could just about afford it but wow uh, no one wanted to um reach into their pocket to buy the, the round that we were going to have up there so you know the captain usually ended up doing that wow i still think the book urinals of the world would be a a, a great uh <laughs> Exit strategy, um, retirement uh, strategy. Possibly. I'm not sure. But it, it was yeah. too late now because I don't have pictures of them all anymore. Uh, all right. Well, no, you can you find go. them on, online, I'm sure. Oh, all right. Um, yeah, I'm thinking. Oh, you think we have one time for one more? Okay. I think we do. We've got nine minutes. Okay. Um, 15, you said? Or 16? 16. 16. Okay. Uh, this one from Texas Charlie and he sent us, what is this? A forwarded voice message from a friend. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. Should I read the note first, uh, Liz, or should I, I play so. the audio? Yeah, okay. So Howdy, Captains, Jeff, Nick, and Rick, and a tip of my hat to the true talent, that lovely Dr. Steph and Liz. Hmm. A little, uh, a little, uh, I don't know. That was a slightly dismissive snort there, yeah, Jeff. I think so. I happen to have a friend who is an, a, a, a first officer, a first officer for a small regional airline out of Oklahoma. He made a voice. Oklahoma, where the winds go rushing la, la, down la, the plane. La, 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 la. Okay, I don't know. That yeah, words. you sing a lot better than me. Uh, no, I don't. You have a great voice. <laughs> uh, anyway, this guy, his, uh, an FO friend, 
made a voice message, but wasn't too sure how to send it to you. He's from Oklahoma, so you understand. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, these Texans and Oklahomans, uh, they, they where are... where the grass is yeah, as high as an elephant's eye. They, they are yeah. not definitely uh, very friendly with each other. So he asked me to pass it on. He taped it on an old Radio Shack portable cassette recorder. <laughs> sure he did. Therefore, it's not the best quality, but I think you'll still enjoy it. I digitized the recording to make it easier, since Captain Jeff's snail mail is kind of iffy right now. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, my friend's name is... Is it Jinky Farkenwithel? <laughs> Ginky Farthenwithel? I don't know. Jinky? Okay. He was the uh, the unknown one in Simon and Garfunkel, wasn't he? The one oh, we I never don't know. Heard about. See, I, I didn't recognize yeah. that. Okay. It's an old German name, not uncommon in small rural towns in these parts. So I hope you enjoy his thoughts and question. He's a bit country and a great guy. I've attached a photo of his plane copied from their website. Hi, y'all. This is Geeky Farkenwithel from Petula, Oklahoma. I fly the right seat and drive the blue water truck for Oki Air, flying out of Garth Brooks International. I gotta say, your show's as fine as cream gravy. <laughs> it picks me up when I'm washing off the splashback after running the vacuum hose on the poop truck. <laughs> now, at Oki Air, we got a fleet of one itty-bitty plane. Bessie's our mom on 737-300. Now, forget glass slippers. This princess wears boots. She's tough, smells like the farm, and a lady in every way. Now, I was listening to an episode a while back and heard y'all talking about layover accommodations, bunkhouses fine as a custom saddle. I heard lots of good stuff about fancy feather beds and ice boxes full of sandwiches and goodies. Uh, let me tell you about what we got at Oki Air. Our little outfit's too poor to paint and too proud to whitewash, so we gotta squeeze a quarter so tight the eagle screams. And let me tell you a secret, we don't service the fanciest airports. More like an outhouse in August. You don't wanna go there, but you gotta. For example, <laughs> we usually have to do a low flyby to scare the cows off the runway. And since none of the airports we service have jet bridges after we deplane via the air stairs, you got to watch out for them fresh cow pies. Those things will really do a number on your ropers. <laughs> Man, after we tie down old Bessie, because it kind of gets windy on the prairie, and scrape the bugs off the windshield, we take a shuttle to the company layover quarters, which usually is a couple of vans sitting out in the far edge of remote parking. <laughs> the company always has a nice mattress laid out inside each van and a big orange Home Depot bucket hanging off of each trailer hitch so we can take care of our bottling needs. For snacks, they usually done stuff the glove compartments with bags of Cheez-Its and pork skins, so we're all set. <laughs> if we have enough time for our next flight, we might partake in a bit of shine, usually kept in a jar back by the spare tire. <laughs> when we're traveling with a mixed crew, the ladies take one van and us guys will take the other. But right now, we ain't got no gals at Oki Air. For some reason, they don't stick around after the first day. But we keep trying to hire more of the fair sex. Lord knows I like to sit next to someone in the left seat who doesn't smell so bad she knock a dog off a gut wagon. Oh, anyway, I got a question for y'all. Captain Rick, I know you're as busy as a stump-tailed bull in fly season, but I got a question I think would be perfect for you. 
Everyone and his dog knows that the Dreamlifter has a capacity volume of 65,000 cubic feet and a max takeoff weight of 803,000 pounds, while the Beluga Airbus has 53,000 cubic feet and 341,700 pounds. What I want to know is this. When a Dreamlifter pilot walks into a bar, do Beluga pilots slip out the back like a politician from a whorehouse? <laughs> well, thanks for letting me poke my nose under your fence. We howdy, but we ain't shook. So if and you find yourselves in our parts, be sure to stop by for an ice-cold yoo-hoo. Mama and him would just love to meet you. Golf India November Kilo India Echo out. <laughs> that is so Unbelievable. cool. Um, just A beluga rare bus? Oh no, I'm talking about the uh, the Oki Air, like what we have up on the on the on the oh, screen right, okay. right now. That their Oki Air uh, with the with the trailer in the uh, hall. Very in the good. Back. I love their accommodations. The uh, couple of vans parked out on the ramp. <laughs> I like the tail uh, decoration. That's sexy. Yeah, that looks good. Um, yeah, and then uh, the question. I guess Rick is not here to answer that question about the. Uh, the dream uh, lifter pilots and the and the beluga pilots uh, in the bar together. I'm not sure what would happen there. Uh, I think there are more beluga pilots than dream lifter pilots, so they get you know those poor Boeing guys to get severely outnumbered. <laughs> they get ganged up on. You know what? This is this might be one, Liz, that we uh, kind of hold over for the next time uh, Rick is with us because uh, he I will might... do that. Jim. You'll do that. All right. I will. <laughs> oh, I do thank Genki uh, Farkham uh, Withel uh, for his uh, for his audio feedback, and uh, we thank again uh, Texas Charlie for facilitating that communication with the APJ. Now that really was Forrest, wasn't it? You could. It sounded just like him. Uh, uh, Forrest has a little bit different sound. I know to you, you reckon? Englishmen, we all sound the same. But uh, You all look the same, too. <laughs> we all look the same, too. <laughs> yep. You got that right. All right. With uh, that, this is this is the show that I've spoken in a southern accent more than any other show <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, in the history of the APG. Have you been eating grits? I, I love grits, actually. I, I, there's I so much about Blah. Southern culture I absolutely love and uh, feel a part of. Sorry. Even though I don't normally sound like it, um, I'm really, I've lived most of my life in the Southern U.S., and I kind of consider myself a Southerner, although people like my wife would say that I'm just an imposter. Are you but a Southern gentleman? I'm a Southern gentleman, and I grew up in Southern California, but she said that don't count for nothing. So, yeah. Anyway. So, hey, that that is it for – thank you again, Texas Charlie. That was funny. Uh, thank you again for uh, joining us today on uh, the APJ uh, episode number 487. And uh, we uh, hope you'll, you'll, you'll uh, like this enough, uh, especially if you're new to the show, to hang around with us again. Uh, come on back, y'all. Come on back, y'all, Liz says. Uh, next, next week. Whenever that is, I don't know when we're going to be recording again next week, but we will, I promise you. And um, if you want to learn more about the show, you can head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com. Uh, that's www.AirlinePilotGuy.com. You don't have to put the www in there. I just wanted to say that. AirlinePilotGuy.com, where you can find information about the show, the crew, the community, um, 
merchandise, more information about the plane tales. And uh, let's see. Oh, thank you, Liz, for putting that graphic up so I can read sort of uh, the APG on YouTube, the APG crew, plane tales. We got the APG library, our, our darling little uh, librarian. She's a northerner, though. She's, She's a, northerner, a northerner, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tiffany uh, manages that. Thank you, Tiffany. And we have the coffee fund information, the APG store. If you want to get one of them T-shirts that has the Acme Air on it, and uh, so much more, contact us. And say, oh, by the way, uh, because of my situation uh, regarding my personal uh, things going on, I don't have a good address. Uh, so if you want to send something to me, like like Rob Simmons did in the UK. And uh, Peter Tarantelli did, or Papa Tango, um, contact me. Send an email to Jeff at Airline Pilot Guy, and I'll tell you where to send it. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you where to put tell it. Tell them where to shove it. <laughs> where to shove it. <laughs> um, so we don't have an official address, snail mail address anymore uh, at this point anyway. But, uh, yeah, contact me. Call me. And uh, if uh, you want to learn about where I'm going to be, uh, during the week on my trips, uh, airline pilot, well, no, is it called? Um, just go to the website and click on the calendar, the APG community calendar. And I've have my schedule there. <sighs> and we're also on social media and Nick, uh, living in the, the Southern part of the UK is going to tell you all about. And I that. live in Southern Canada too. Yeah. Well, certainly, uh, yes. Uh, if you'd like to go to Facebook, uh, you'll find <laughs> us at, uh, the oh, feedback, sorry. and then oh, this no, is our email address. I do <laughs> beg your pardon. Liz uh, loves doing this. She loves come on, people Liz, up. sharpen up. <laughs> if if you want to get to Facebook, you can find us at uh, Airline Pilot Guy. That's all one word. Uh, if you wish to send us an email, uh, then oh, uh, apparently not. Uh, if you'd like to go <laughs> Twitter, to Twitter, man. Twitter, and find us at Twitter, uh, you can uh, just uh, type in at APG Crew. That's not AT. That's the symbol that represents at yes. at APG Crew. Uh, and uh, the other thing, of course, is. Uh, Instagram. So Instagram is a fine, fine uh, application uh, for social media. And there we are merely, APG Crew. Yes. So simple. I didn't get onto the email address, Liz. Could you put that back, please? Yes, sir. Come on, sharpen up. Feedback <laughs> at airlinepilotguide.com uh, is the best way to get in touch. And we all see that. So if you, uh, if you want to get any of us, then please send to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. There you go. And we are also on Slack. If you want to be a slacker, we have this gentleman named Hillel, who um, somehow always Lives seems in the toilet. to be uh, in the toilet, uh, no matter where I am. And let's see, I'll turn on the hidden microphone and see if he's a... Hey, Hillel! Hillel! Slack! Can you do Slack? He's always up for it, although he's usually dripping wet. But uh, come on over Turn here. Turn your camera off. Turn your camera yeah, okay, off. Yeah, okay, here. Let me uh, close that there so you don't see him. All right, here we go. Here's Halal. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. 
To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you, Hillel, for uh, always being there to tell us about... What? Can we please get one of those heated bidet toilet seats like they have in Japan? Yeah, well, if you look at the toilet right there in front of you, you'll see I have one. So quit your complaining. Why does does, uh, Hillel want to use the bidet? Listen, if you have ever (laughs) experienced it, you'll know why. Just saying. Yes, trust me. On this one. What's he been <laughs> doing down there that needs a B day? Well, uh, we'll t- we'll talk offline. All right, and okay, uh, with well. that, it is time also to thank our con- our Whoa, <laughs> producer director, yes, Liz. Liz. Good job, Liz. She's always there, working hard behind the scenes to uh, do a lot to make us seem somewhat intelligent and entertaining on these shows week to week. So. Thank you, Liz, for your awesome help. And well done. And particularly on this week's plane tale, which had a lot of images. Yes. Yeah. When you see all those images going, going, changing, and you know, do, during during the plane tale, that's uh, Liz hard at work. Unless she's not there, and then we, uh, you know, fumble around and get it done. But uh, thank you, Liz, <laughs> for all you do. And until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly over